So wait, it was a magazine. When magazine, you yeah. Magazine, how I started, yeah. You said Magazines were like the original platform for. Wait, are we start, have we started Silicon Alley? I guess we this, started. This is the trick. We've just been recording just started, the whole yeah, time. Yeah, the whole time. <laughs> yeah, but the, welcome to Acquired Sessions. All that stuff that you said beforehand that yes. like was really juicy. I don't think we should put that in. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. And we don't want to tell people where the bodies are buried. Well, cheers, boys. Cheers. Here we go. We're, this is the. Is this the first one or? This, this is, is the, the first, first in real life. Wow. But I think IRL. this is our ninth, tenth together, something like that. A lot between the two pods. Yeah, for sure. Great to know you, boys. So this is the first Acquired like Sessions. Acquired Sessions. I feel like I should get out a guitar here and just play some Dylan. <laughs> this, is, this is your baby. What is Acquired Sessions? Acquired Sessions is, normally on the show, we are like so scripted. Yeah, you are. And we have a great time. We do four-hour episodes. You know, it's awesome. But uh, really, for folks like you, who we know really well, yeah. what happens if we throw out the script? And just chop it up. And we just chop it up. David Rosenthal unplugged. Wow, I love it. I love it. This is the literally MTV unplugged. Literally. All right, well, David, this is the perfect time to talk about one of our favorite companies, Statsig. Yes. When we had VJ on ACQ2 earlier this year, they were already a pretty impressive kind of Series B stage startup with a killer team and early product market fit. But what's happened since and the scale that they're operating at now is pretty wild. This is where we get lucky in being very choosy with our sponsors. Sometimes these things happen to them while we're mid-flight. Yes. So I asked them for some fun stats. In the past month, Statsig shipped actual live product experiments to over 1.2 billion end users. Now, that stat is not deduplicated across apps, so there's some overlap. But I mean, even if you cut that in half to approximate actual flesh and blood human people out there. That's almost 10% of the world's population. Crazy. Okay, so that's one. Two, Statsig now processes about 130 billion events per day. So the infrastructure that Statsig now has to support these data volumes is pretty wild. And it's not like they just execute these events. They then take all the data from them, run huge statistical jobs across the whole corpus, to compute the experiment results that their customers are running. It is just wild. It's funny, I hadn't thought to make this comparison until right now. So you said 1.7 million events a second. If you look at the Visa numbers, I just pulled up my Visa notes, Visa does 8,600 transactions per second. So that's what, 200 times as much throughput at Statsig than at Visa? On the customer side, Statsig added arguably almost all of the most important AI companies in the world this year, including Microsoft, Atlassian, Anthropic, along, of course, with regular old companies like Notion and UiPath and Lattice and Brex and Friends of the Show Rec Room. The team also kept shipping super fast. At the start of the year, they had just one core product. Today, they're a full-fledged product understanding platform. They have dedicated feature flagging, warehouse native experimentation, and product analytics. Yep. So if your team wants the best platform in the world for making data-driven product decisions, you should reach out. Statsig.com slash acquired. And as always, there is special white glove onboarding for all acquired listeners. Our huge thanks to Statsig. That's great. So, well, we, thought, we, we have no agenda, obviously, but... No, um, wait. Where do you want to start? We got to thank Vanta. Oh, Yes. Oh, Vanta, I'm an investor. We're investors too. Well, great. They're an awesome company. Big uh, supporter of podcasts. So yeah, go Vanta. 
We are huge fans of Vanta and their approach to the whole compliance process, SOC 2, HIPAA, GDPR, and more. And we've got CEO and co-founder Christina Cassiopo back with us today. Vanta was already the best place to check the box and get security compliance certified. But now you've just launched Vanta Trust Reports, which take things even further. Tell us about that and how they can help companies deepen their relationships and trust with their customers and partners over time. Really excited about these. It's actually a bit of uh, not yet told Vanta history, but something like Vanta Trust Reports, honestly, a much worse, much more poorly designed version by yours truly, uh, which is why I can say that, uh, were launched in the very early days of Vanta when we wanted to help companies get secure and prove that security, but weren't yet convinced we wanted to or had to go all through the nuances of what a SOC 2 was. So we figured, hey, let's just make this report of the best security practices. Let's check companies against those practices all the time and make this live and updating visible and transparent. This should help these companies prove their security and grow their business. And it should also help them be more secure because they've got this report, like this kind of security status page out in the wild. So 2017, Vanta tried this and found out that no one really knew what a Vanta report was and everyone wanted a SOC 2. So flash forward to 2022, and it's actually really exciting. <laughs> Turns out creating standards is, uh, you know, people have to know who you are before you can create your own standard. A little bit, you know, and so honestly, like, I mean, I'm joking, but I'm not. Like, literally the company strategy on that day sort of became, okay, use the existing standards to bolster yourself and build something better here. And so this launch of trust reports is really exciting. These are companies that maybe it's before they've gotten a compliance certification, maybe in their process of getting one. For some, actually, it's they already have one. But then rather than keep going through their buyer's process, they're like, look, this is just constantly up to date and has all the information you need. You know, take a look at this instead, rather than my, you know, compliance PDF from months ago. So relative to a SOC 2, which is done once a year and kept up to date annually, Avanta Trust Report is kept up to date to the minute, basically, continuously. You always know what the company's practices are. So just really excited to, to get this out into the world and into folks' hands. Our thanks to Vanta, the leader in automated security and compliance software. If you are looking to join Vanta's 2,000, nay, 3,000 customers right. to get compliance certified in weeks instead of months, you can click the link in the show notes or go to vanta.com slash acquired for a 10% discount. Thank you, Vanta. So in the juicy stuff earlier, you mentioned yeah. Mahalo. Yeah. I don't, is, is that why you started Can we just keep rehe- like, referring to the juicy stuff? As, yeah, like, the juicy stuff. Yeah, no, we weren't talking about that stuff. That stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is Mahalo why you started, you went from print to print to... Well, when I, in the 90s, um, I, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, my dad had his bar uh, seized by the feds because he didn't pay his taxes during the 1987 crash. He became like, he got behind and uh, the fed showed up one day and this was the maybe six weeks before I was set to go to college. And he said, hey son, I can't help you with college, good luck. Uh, And uh, I might be going to jail, so take care of your mom. So he was like really behind on his taxes and you know, state liquor authority, they kind of take it serious. So feds come, shotguns, the whole thing. They seize the place. They seize everything in it. And uh, I was like, well, I guess I'm going to school at night. 
and I'm going to work during the day. And I worked uh, fixing laser printers. And uh, that was like a really good racket. The HP had just come out. And Were you set to go to college somewhere else? Well, that's another story. But I was set to go to Brooklyn College. I got into that. I had also taken the police exam to be a police officer. So my brother went into the force. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to see if I can go to college and make that work. So I'm going to go to Brooklyn College. So I decided to work during the day, and then I went to school four nights a week, 6 to 9 p.m., carried full credits, 16 credits a semester, and uh, I would work fixing laser printers all day. I was a bad student. Uh, I was always that student who underperformed. I didn't find great meaning in academics, but I had a computer when I was in high school, and I was more interested in playing with my 300-baud modem, which then became a 1,200-baud modem and my PC Junior. So it kind of, you know, like many people of that era, we were sort of set on a path because we were the first generation to have a computer at home. Uh, I actually had an Atari 2600 and it could play Tank was the game that came with it and Pong. And so my dad bought this for us when I was six or seven years old, 1976, 1977. And he had one of the first Pongs in Brooklyn in his bar. So he must've cleaned up on that. Oh my God, it was crazy. Um, And so we, uh, I I just got exposure to video games and computers and I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like computers are gonna change everything. And then I happened to hack some software. We used to, I ran a lot of scams, uh, but- uh, You told us about the the VHS. So VHS, Jason's Hot Tapes was technically my first business, but there was a side job I had, which was cracking software. So we were, we would make copies of like Chess Master and stuff like that and then sell them for 10 bucks. And then we started like hacking and doing what was called phone freaking. When you were doing this stuff, like it's you to be reasonably technical to do it. Not like the you know, not like Wozniak yeah. technical, but like you. you we soldered chips sometimes. We changed. Yeah, you like know, we put we, to put memory in at that time. You had to like take the memory chips and put them in, and then bend them over and stick them in. Did you ever think about like did did you consciously ever make a fork? where you were like, not tech media. And of course, media about tech, but yeah. you're like, I'm not gonna be the guy doing the boards. I'm gonna be the guy writing about the people doing the boards. It's a very good question. I used to go to Bleecker Street. I used to hang out in the West Village or the East Village. It was like the cool places to hang out. And um, like a thing to do would be to go to Tower Records and look at the zine section. So there was a concept of a zine, which was short for magazine. But a zine was something you wrote with your friends, you printed it yourself at a photocopy store. It's like blogs before blogs. Blogs before blogs. And I created a zine. I was like, I'm gonna be a magazine publisher. So the first one I did was Cyber Surfer, which was about dial-up services and CD-ROMs. And I did it with my friend, Brian Alvey, uh, whom you might've heard of in my career. We went to high school together. Weblogs? We did weblogs together. Yeah. So, but in the early 90s, I did Which is Engadget, Twad. All that stuff. uh, Yeah. Everything you sold to AOL. Thing I sold to AOL. Uh, But anyway, before that, I did this mag, I did that magazine. And then I had met Fred, I met Jerry Colonna at uh, Internet World, the first one. And he, there was a booth. That's right. When Jerry was a VC before he was like the Before he was a VC, he was consulting for Lycos. And I think CMGI. And so there was a Lycos booth. And I had met this young lady at it, and we hit it off, and we were talking, and then she introduced me to Jerry Colonna. And then I met Jerry Colonna in an office no bigger than this room in on, uh, Union Square, and he said, listen, I'm leaving Lycos, but I'm going to start this Acme Ventures with my friend Fred. Um, I want you to come um, read business plans for us. And so I met Fred Wilson, and I would go up to them, and they were doing, J.P. Morgan was going to back them for their venture firm. This was 1994, 95. This became Flatiron. And it became Flatiron. J.P. Morgan Acme. was the first big anchor of Flatiron? They were half of it, and Masayoshi-san, SoftBank, was the other half. No way! So they no wanted shit. you to come like be a VC associate. Not a VC. 
just to read business plans. So the deal was they would take me for sushi and pay me a thousand bucks. Wait, what do VCs and associates do besides just read business plans? Exactly. Well, anyway, it was the thing. And so I had the magazine started Silicon Eye Reporter and they were paying me. And so I read uh, about this um, um, Beverly Hills internet company, which got rebranded as GeoCities. And I wrote a little coverage of it and I said, you should invest. I'm 24 oh, years old. I don't even know what VC is. That's where Flatiron made all their money. Yeah. Uh, they were going to invest anyway. The so, Flatiron but became USV, met, right? Yeah. Square being, Ventures. Flatiron went with Jerry Colonna. Then when Jerry decided he wanted to move to Colorado and just chill, yeah. um, he had made enough money, I think. And Coach Founders. Coach Founders, I think. And yeah, maybe he had like, uh, I think he's been pretty public about it. Like, I don't want to say a nervous breakdown, but a kind of like maybe a fork in the road, like making a decision about what you want in your life kind of situation. He wrote that great book about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Jerry was a good mentor, but Fred actually became ultimately my, my deep mentor uh, at that time. And uh, Fred said to me, listen, you're doing Silicon Valley Reporter. You're writing about us and the companies we're investing in. And um, you're doing stuff. Which would you rather do? And I was like, I think I'll do the magazine. Uh, this was before. Now it's like, wow, I so do both. So, <laughs> and now it's like, I do both. Why yeah. choose? But just to back up to GeoCities, yeah. That sold to Yahoo for like three five billion, and I think four or five. Flatiron was the main investor. Yeah, Flatiron maybe owned five or ten percent of it at the time. Oh, it was like crap. a huge win for them. I mean, Fred was on fire for a New York VC and Jerry. They did pretty well. They had. Done... How did that happen? Right, like I mean, Silicon so, Valley was here, but yeah. they were in New York. Like, what was going on? Yeah, we just there was a lot of good companies brewing in New York. And my concept with Silicon Valley Reporter was, well, they have red herring in and the Bay upside in the Bay, but I own New York, and I had Silicon Valley Reporter, and then I started one called Digital Coast Reporter in LA. So I had two magazines, two conferences, two email newsletters. I was kind of king of New York, right? I grew that business to $10 million in revenue off my credit cards. Um, and um, had uh, 75 to 100 people working for me when I was 27 years old. And I didn't know anything about how to run a magazine, how to run ad sales. I taught myself everything. What did your family think of this? Like It was pretty heady stuff because I wound up being on the cover of the New York Times on Charlie Rose. And they wrote a feature story about me for 8,000 words in the New Yorker. So anyway, it's a really cool time in New York because at that time, you were either in media or finance or art, publishing. It was like a finite set. And I was in publishing, but I was also in this new thing, technology. Hmm. And so everybody wanted in on that. It would be like the equivalent of crypto is today, <laughs> like at its peak, where like, and you were the equivalent of like Satoshi or something. Like it was crazy to be yeah. the New York internet guy. Um, Can I? Yeah. So we talked all about a lot of this when we did our like big Jason Cal like Empire of Jason Calacanis episode with you. So I want to like yeah. put this on pause. So yeah, sure. people can go pause. listen to that. You should. It's great. We get like the detailed story of like Weblogs yeah. Inc. and all that great stuff. And you mentioned, I want to like take us from you're Double only click. as good as the, you know, your greatest, your, your newest thing. Sure. Because um, the last time we talked to you, you were just starting all in. Hilarious. And like, yeah. can we talk podcasting? Of course. I love it. Podcasting is like, I think perhaps my greatest medium. What happened with All In? How did, I mean. It's weird. It, has it surpassed your wildest expectations? Um, I thought it would be something Chamath and I would do 10 times. Yeah. So the, the origin story is pretty simple. Um, Chamath, uh, I knew because he was running ICQ. Chamath was running ICQ? At AOL, and I had sold my company to AOL, and like the revolving door of know, AOL, was the it was like Ted Leonsis had this march to a billion, uh, my Greek brother, a mentor, had this like march to a, mil a billion uh, offsite. And so I went to this, and I just sold Weblogs like Inc. Like a million AOL users? Hot shit. That's the, the That was the idea. Was that, well, with Weblogs Inc., 
and yeah. with uh, AOL and other assets they wanted to buy, they were going to march to a billion users. Yeah. It was like this crazy rallying cry. And we had these t-shirts, march to a billion. So I go to that and I see Chamath and I was like, hey. And he's like, hey. And we introduce each other and we had known of each other. And I was like, what are you doing here? He's like, I'm running ICQ into the ground. You know, I'm just riding it down every month that loses a million members. Whatever. I was like, it's hilarious. And he's like, yeah, but I'm leaving. I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go to the West Coast. I'm going to go work at this VC or whatever. I was like, all right, nice seeing you. Um, and so then when he was there, I was in LA. Uh, and what VC did he go work? Because he was at Facebook. Mayfield. Mayfield. Mayfield for a year. And then Sean Parker introduced him to uh, um, Zuck. Zuck. And Zuck needed, you know, like a Chamath. He needed yeah. like somebody who would just Chamath know, be a built barbarian. The growth team. He built the growth team. Yeah. And he was like, I don't. There is no equivalent of growth. That was the, the idea of growth hacking didn't exist as a term until Chamath did what he did. He said, "Just find me the smartest people. I'm hiring based on IQ, and I'm hiring based on desire to make a lot of money and be a beast." And he just went. He went into beast mode because you know he too was very hungry. Um, and he I mean, was you like, guys must have been like brothers from another. Mother. Yeah, for sure, like, for sure. We're 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 definitely you know both outsiders in Silicon Valley, and um, you know I had Chamath come on the pod. This week in startups, that is. Uh, we listened to it. It was. It's hell, fun to go back to, to that back, moment. Yeah. The first and, one. You know, he, you yeah. can see how he's not, you know, polished. He's not Chamath. You know, right. uh, it's gregarious or whatever. It's a little more. He reserved. doesn't have the Loro on. No Loro piano. He was. Was he, he in was, great shape or? No, 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 no not what I'm sure. He was like a. He was like a dork. You know, like he. he but he was. This is pre, uh, and, this Bezos pre. No, uh, yeah, it was like Bezos pre. Yeah, whatever. But, you know, he he always was a poker player. He was playing Atlantic City, so he was, you know, like myself, an outsider who wanted to take risk and wanted to win, and um, you know, confident, you know, even maybe more confident than both of us should be. But um, and so I kind of introduced Shamath to the world by convincing him to come on the pod, which he was like reluctant to do when he was huh. at Facebook, but he uh. did it after Facebook. So I kept asking him to come. He finally was in LA. He came on the pod. And then people, I was like, he's really good on stage. Like, he's, he's funny, whatever. And so... Which, at this point, you had an eye for. Because you were sure, like... of course. I mean, one of the things when I was a podcaster in those early days, you know, talking about 12 years ago, whatever, is, you know, I introduced a lot of I people think like to the 14, world. I think, like, 14, right? 14, like two, yeah. I introduced people to the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was 2008, I guess, whatever. So I introduced a lot of people who were in tech to the... You know, and it was only a couple thousand people. And then, the, as now, too, like... You could be a great founder. You could be a great, you know, person in tech. But like, that doesn't automatically make you a compelling podcast. Yes, as, as we know, yeah. no, of course not. No, I mean, there. I have my own theories about what makes for a great guest. We'll put that on the side for now. But um, anyway, we, we start a friendship. We start playing cards together. Uh, we start hanging out, you know, trading notes, kind of thing. And uh, he's going to start his venture firm. I'm a scout at Sequoia. All that stuff. We start playing and trading notes, and we just become great friends. But then he was coming out of CNBC one day, and he's like, "Oh my god, you know, just." Like, we have such a good rapport when you interview me, because he had done a bunch of interviews with me on stage and stuff like that at my events. He's like, I want to do a podcast with you. I was like, yeah, you can come on this week and start up anytime. It's twice a week now. and uh, Which it's now five times a six, week? Six. Six. Sunday. Dude. Yeah. Plus I'll see. I'm going to go, I may go back down to five next year. <laughs> it's a little much right now. Yeah, um, dude, you're, I mean, we'll come back to this, but we'll like, you're killing yourself right now and you're on act three. Yeah. I have more energy now than... I, I may I may have I, I just this like coming out of the pandemic might have as much energy as I did when I was in my twenties, but for different reasons, different type of energy. Um, anyway, Chamath calls me, you know, coming out of the studio. I don't know if it was in, he was in New York or was he was in the one market one in San Francisco here, but um, he said I want to just pop with you. I said okay, and he said I want to 
do a new pod with it. Just me and you. We talk. I was like, sure. He's like, what should we call it? We're texting back and forth. I was like, we should call it all in. And this in. is 2020? Yeah. It's like two yeah. years ago or whatever. And I said, yeah, we should call it all in. Like, we should come up with a poker name. He's like, yeah, great. Like, a raise or something. I was like, all in. Because you you'd been referring to this poker game on air on Twitter. Yeah, I would talk like, about it once in a while. The poker game that doesn't exist. And yeah. Sky Dayton and I had a poker game with Brooke Hammerling, the famous PR person, at the Code Conference, which was the All Things D conference oh, before right, that right. for 20 yeah. years. Then Chamath had had a poker game. Sachs, I had hosted it floating. And putting all that together, um, yeah, I'd refer to it many times in the yeah. pod, but try to you know keep it from becoming public. Right. Uh, but it was me, Bill Gurley. It's all public now. Mark Pincus, right? Or maybe uh, Pincus used to... used to come to the code one. Yeah. Um, which is another funny story, um, and uh, lots of funny stories in my life. But anyway, um, so then. The pandemic happens, and we're like, well, we're letting you go and just dropping these little breadcrumbs. We got to pick them up on the yeah. At some point, we got to pick these up. Anyway, I, at some point, I'll write a biography. Anyway, um, ten, nine years, uh, third book. Anyway, the um, then we we were the pandemic starts to happen. We're like, well, Sachs has some ideas about masks, and then Friedberg, <laughs> Sachs and Friedberg ideas. weren't. There was no besties originally, right? No, it was just no. you and, and I mean, in truth, like. Uh, Freeberg and I weren't besties before All In. I mean, we knew each other. We were friends, but not besties. I was besties with Sachs and Chamath, and now Freeberg is a bestie. Um, and but he he played in the game, obviously, and we had just started to have a developer friendship. But anyway, that foursome kind of clicked right pretty yeah. quickly. Um, and I think you know I was a really good interviewer. I'd studied interview techniques and really you know after doing a whatever, I'd done at least a thousand episodes of Twist at that point. And I had had Sacks on many times and Chamath. So I was very comfortable with them. And at the poker game, we break chops and I make jokes. Um, and Chamath's a great host and just very comfortable with each other. Uh, and, and Freeberg kind of joined that group and um, it clicked. And I think during the pandemic, and I, I thought maybe this last 10, 20 episodes, but during the pandemic, I think people wanted information. Yeah. And... I realize like, and perspective. Oh, I mean, sure. I, I think that's a thing. I'll I'll tell you, I never expected to be listening to David Sachs talk, coming from where he comes from politically and where I come from politically, and going, "Yeah, mm, that is a good point." And yeah. that perspective is like so helpful in our polarized world today. Yeah, it, it's very unique. And you know, around the poker table, we all listen to each other and we're friends, but the world does not want us to be friends in, in some ways. The world wants us to be enemies. And I kind of think about it like, um, you know, best of enemies kind of situation. Like we debate specific things like uh, Gore Vidal and um, who was his adversary? Uh, anyway, it's a great documentary about Gore Vidal and huh. um, Gore William Vidal? F. Buckley. They're just two public intellectuals. One was on huh. the left, one was on the right. Uh, and there's this documentary, Best of Enemies, in the 60s. They started debating like uh, different conve political conventions. And huh. it was like the most compelling thing on TV. Huh. And but they were like friends. Best of Enemies. Best of, uh, they weren't besties like Sachs and I are. But, you know, Gore Vidal was just, he was gay. Um kind of closeted or quietly gay and on the left and Buckley was like a serious conservative and they went to blows sometimes on the show like at um, one point Buckley I think he called him like a sissy or something like really like derogatory as a gay man and the world didn't understand he was exactly gay it was like sort of time period in the 60s where like yeah. 
maybe some adults understood like yeah that's a gay man but we don't say oh, that's when a gay man when they got into town yesterday we were driving the Castro's yeah. right nearby and we, we saw a naked guy in the Castro and I was like oh naked guy in the Castro and Ben was like what Just is going on like dude you gotta understand no, in the Castro's is, like huge jacked dude walking around and and super sunny so he's like just all like Buck. slick down sweaty. but did he have his shoes on was he wearing combat boots uh, so, they know. usually wear boots yeah and then they usually carry a sarong there was a big debate when i first moved up here because there was a number of folks who used to like to get a starbucks and they had to like negotiate and they were like how about a sarong in starbucks because you're gonna sit right right bare ass <laughs> and, and for for context for you know, I've explained this to Ben, but like, this is a thing in the Castro in San Francisco. It's a cult. It's like a, it's a now it's like you see it and it's like, ah, this is like a relic of the 60s, 70s. Yeah, it actually was pretty awesome because David, we're like driving up and David goes, oh, a naked guy. It was the most like warm hearted. <laughs> yeah. I had to, um, yeah, adjust as well as a New Yorker because I as bet. a New Yorker, if somebody's naked, that's a sign that if there's about to be some crazy person <laughs> in a fight and police <laughs> and chaos. And here, it means like high fives and right ons. Mm -hmm. But you know, growing up in New York, like if somebody takes their clothes off on a public transportation or right. in a cafe, like people are getting a baseball bat and uh, calling the police and like the shit's about to go down. Oh my God. You know, and then here it's like, you know, high five and yeah. live your life. I, that's one of the things I love about San Francisco. But anyway, the pod's gotten very big. So you get the gang together and like, yeah. what, why do you think it works? Like, is why it, do it's, you think it's, it works? It's like the number one-ish well, in our, business, in our business, it's number one, of course, but it's number. It was number twenty-eight last week, like in, in the world. world on on you, you guys have transcended. Like this is it more has than to do just with tech a, anymore. Yeah, yeah, it has nothing to do with finance or tech anymore. I it think it works. Tipped over into colleges. I was colleges. at. I was you know skiing in Tahoe, and I you know I was with my kids, and it's hard to get a table type situation. Right. I was like, hey, I hate to be a pest, but I see you're wrapping up. Are you, and no pressure, but are you going to be leaving soon? Because I'd love to camp out here and get your table. And they're like, stop busting my balls, And the woman Jason. looked at me and she goes, Jake Hal? And I was like, Holy have God. we met? And she's like, no, I listen to your pod twice a week. I'm like, it's only on oh. one. She's like, I listen to it twice. And I was like, oh my God, that's so nice. She's like, I was like, are you in the industry? She's like, I'm a dentist wow. in Reno. And I'm like, you're a dentist in Reno. So can I ask how you found out about it? She's like, I don't know. Like, she's like, I deeply care about San Francisco politics. No. <laughs> somehow she had found it. And this is, you know, during the pandemic situation. And then that's when I realized that it crossed wow. over. What, was there a moment over. for you, either you four or you, where you were like, whoa, this is... You know, I've been um, micro-famous, you know, micro-celebrity yeah. multiple times in my career. But in this New is York, different. Eh, not for me, oh. you know. And I got a lot of famous friends. Uh, you know, I, I'm used to getting recognized. I'm used to people taking pictures. What I'll say is, like, where it used to be, you know, if I go to Austin or New York, people would say... I would have three people stop me on the street a day if I was walking around in New York. Now it's 20, you know, or 10. And they want to take a selfie. And it's, you know, it's just, you know how podcasting is. You guys get recognized. And it creates a level of intimacy with people. Oh, for sure. If they're in the habit. Yes. Yeah. Because you're hearing people every week. And then people become characters. And I try to make everybody, I, I was, you know, in, in you mean all people on honesty, the show or I, in all honesty, I did craft with all in I was very premeditated in creating some character. I've never really talked about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is but I crafted stuff. some character kind of arcs. I oh, The yeah. fights are all real. Trust me. There's nothing scripted about that. But I did say, like, I think I can, as the point guard here, kind of shape the conversation. And I you know, literally created the character of 
the Sultan of Science. Right, that's what I was going to say. And, you know, Freeberg didn't even have a Twitter handle. Well, there's Zero a, followers. There's oh even God. a character of J. Cal on All In. Like J. Cal, the, the world's greatest moderator. Sure, yeah. I think more like J. Cal, the guy who lets himself be the punching bag because it plays for the show. A little bit. Uh, I Which would is rather part of not, the if I'm being great. honest, I'd rather not be the punching <laughs> bag. Like, they're like, you're the poorest guy on the show. I'm like, do we need to point that out <laughs> so often, guys? You're like, not like, by, not by much. Rich. Like, I, I'm feeling really good about myself. <laughs> you don't have to point out that you all have more money than me and you... Two of you have planes and I don't, and it's it's okay with me. I I could have a plane, I guess. I could get one, but you care about the environment. Well, no, it's also like I don't want to waste a ton of money, and you know, right. whatever reason. Um, but you do you do let yourself play that role of like like you have been enormously successful, and you sort of let the role of J. Cal on the show be like that guy who one day wants to be like us. Maybe he'll maybe he'll make it. I actually. Never wanted to play that, actually. Okay. No, that was not. That was just the boys breaking my chops, maybe. So maybe it's a little bit of like them wanting to, uh, you know, maybe uh, take the piss out of me a little bit, which yeah. is fine because <laughs> you know I give it as good as I can get it. But yeah. I think that's probably for them. You can ask them when they're on the pod. I think for them, that's kind of the diss. That's the one they can easily go to. Is yeah. I'm the poorest guy on the show, but like. I've done okay. Like, <laughs> what? I, maybe let's flip it. Like for yeah. them, before All In, I mean, maybe Tamath had a little bit of a public. No, they were not famous. They no, had, right. they had no like, go to market. They're, what all, you, they're like, all. This is a new thing for each of them to hit this level of notoriety. Right. It's not for me. What do you think for? I mean, we should ask them this. But sure. Like, if you were to speculate, caveat that it's speculation. Yeah. What do you think for them? All In has like done. Like, well, I mean, for Friedberg. Nobody knew who he was, except if you worked at Google or you were in VC. Like, he's very connected or, or in those circles. What's yeah. that? Or Monsanto. Or Monsanto. Like, he's very connected in those circles, but he was kind of under the radar guy. Right. Um, I think, really by design, he didn't have any desire to. So I think it's probably the biggest adjustment for him. The, the, the increase in profile has certainly been the highest for him. And he's loved. There was a moment when I, like, jokingly said to people during the Q&A session at All In Summit... Uh, you know, just say who your favorite bestie is and then direct a question. And it was like five in a row, Sultan of Science. And it was like, like oh, oh my God, God, what have I done? Now I've created this monster. <laughs> you know, and he, at the time, like would barely show up for like, you know, he would show up for two out of three episodes. He'd be busy. It wasn't a priority for him. Right. So I'd be like, all right, I'll put Brad Kersner in if you can't make it. I'll try to get Bill Gurley right. to show up or whoever Draymond to fill in for him. You know, and it was always like, I wonder if Freebird will show up. But he's actually really committed to the show now. Um, for Sachs, he was high profile, but nobody really knew him as a Republican. So he kind of uncloaked mm. as a Republican on the show. Well, I feel like he was also like, he was uh, almost even more so than any, you know, well, not you, but he was high profile if you knew about the PayPal Mafia money. But he was like the least kind of public of the PayPal I Mafia. Mean, of crew. the PayPal Mafia, you would say Elon, Reed, Hoffman, Peter Thiel, Keith. Max Levchin, Jeremy yeah. Stoppelman, Chad Hurley, Ruloff. Yeah. And I guess Sachs would be somewhere in that strata oh, right, of like right. being known. But Not I feel success, like being known. Being known, yeah. Being known. But yeah, you know, and I, I think part of the reason this works is Sachs. I think Sachs has probably taken the brunt of the head of the pod. Yeah. Because yeah. he is so passionate about, you know, a lot of topics that maybe are unpopular in the tech circles. So I do think like it's cost him deal flow on the margins, probably. Mm. I think there's probably. You know, uh, I don't really margin. Like, I wonder. I on wonder. balance, he, he said that jokingly on the show. I don't no. know. I'm just thinking like maybe there's somebody. Kraft has ascended 
because he's done all in in a I way guess. that yeah I, sure i'm trying to think if like would is there a founder i wonder i don't know this but is there a founder who's a young founder who would say i would never take money from peter Thiel's venture firm because I'm so liberal. For sure there are. And, okay, and, so and then, those people feel that way about Kraft now. But for every one of those, there's 10 more who I, know I about Kraft I kind of Kraft agree with now. your... Yeah, I would agree with that. So anyway, I do think, like, he's joked that it's cost him deal flow. I don't know if it has. Um, I think well, truly I think the benefits The pod, are, too, I think for, pe- for people in America and people in tech, has moved, I think, a lot of people towards the center. I think a lot of people were moving towards the center and we codified it for people. Yeah. We maybe made it okay to admit you're a moderate. Yeah. You know, I've I, I've been telling folks from the beginning, I'm an independent and a moderate. I voted probably Democratic three out of five times, four out of five times. But mostly that's a function of the fact that I've lived only in New York and California in my life where you don't really get many Republicans or moderates. But I voted for Bloomberg, Giuliani, when Maria was crazy, and Pataki, who were all it's Republicans. insane to me. Were you that, here that during the, the Schwarzenegger era or were you still No, I wasn't, but I would have. Uh, voted for him. Um, I, I like competent people, and I supported Bloomberg for president, which got me a lot of flack. Really, uh, I don't Wait, understand oh, I why. Like, people terrible. were very upset that I was for him instead of whoever. You, I think you guys talked about this on the pod that like, oh, what was the two by two quadrant of like, whatever it was. We all think we are here in Silicon Valley, which yeah. is like social, uh, liberal, fiscal, conservative. Yeah, yeah that's, we were like everybody should be that, but we're the smallest of the four groups. Yes. It is a small group. I, I, um, I, I think I believe in competence and staying out of people's lives. So I, I you know, it's very hard to know because, and then even David. I mean, this is I think when David and I fight on the pod, which some people love, and I think some people probably turn the pod off when that happens and they don't like it. Um, and certainly, I the MAGA group was, has no love lost for Jake Al. I can tell you that. Like my <laughs> replies have been really crazy. I mean, like brigaded the last couple of oh weeks. Oh my god, it's nuts. <laughs> Um, it's funny, but it's also like on the margins, like they can get a little scary, like they'll dox yeah. me sometimes. And I, you know, that's not fun. Um, a handful of times it's happened. Uh, but you know, I had to tell David, like David, I, I am not like, I don't actually listen to MSNBC and Rachel Maddow to get my information. Uh, and by the way, your pro-choice, pro-gay marriage, anti-war, yeah, he's the dove. And I, I was like, well, okay, if you if we want to play this game, I'm going to dub you David the dove. And now you're <laughs> yes, making me into Jason the hawk. Like, what are we talking about here? Like, um, but anyway, you know, well, it just goes to show how silly the, the coalition building is. Like, it's totally like, silly. Exactly. The, the, the two party system requires that if you feel very strongly about something, yeah. then you're not allowed to think independently about anything else. It's so crazy, you know. I and I think what messes people up is the fact that I actually just think. Donald Trump is a horrible human who you should do no business with, has no business being in any political office and, you know, is just horrible on any number of levels. But I believe that independent of his party, he's a Democrat, obviously. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I would hate him as a Democrat or a Republican. So it's, it's not personal. And I, I, would, I would love or to Or it is it. personal with him, but it's, it's not very like personal the, with him. the party. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just think this is a just horrible human being on, uh, you know, in every way. Now, I understand for some people... He represents change for some people. It's like the way the Republicans secured office and that's all they care about is winning. I I get it, whatever. And I think so much of the human condition is like being a part of a community. And he, for so many people, is a symbol that means, hey, all my friends and neighbors, we get to agree on something so that we all can find 
togetherness in something. And for some people, that's the flat earth. And for other people, that's startups. And for some people, it's the tribe. Yeah, we don't, you know, a lot of people don't practice religion anymore. And so he's their religion and Hillary Clinton or Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders might be other religions. Or the new iPhone. Like I found myself ordering this phone and I love it. And it's the iPhone 14 Pro and it's magic and whatever. But like, it's not that different than my old phone, no. but I got to participate in all the fun watching of the keynote and the tweeting and the yeah, nerding out and right. like, let me look at the image quality versus the old one. I because say, it really is pretty. It is pretty, but like I got to be part of a tribe and like that is a thing that no matter what your tribe is, that is so fun to be there on tribe day and tribe I, yeah. week. And I will say the thing I'm proud about the show, I think, is that it has you know, through a lot of the trials and tribulations shown that you can be friends, disagree, learn from each other and have a vibrant debate, which is how we all grew up, I think. Uh, When I say we, including you guys, but also specifically the besties, I want to be friends with people who I disagree with. I want to debate stuff, right? And then people are like this guy, Dean Preston, and um, he's like one of these supervisors here. He's a super idiot, like guy in San Francisco who like... (laughs) Um, you know, like won't let them build housing and all that stuff. And he's like, you're just a conservative, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you don't actually understand who I am. He's like, you're a conservative billionaire. I'm like, wrong on both accounts. Right. But <laughs> thank you for the latter. My besties <laughs> remind me on yeah, the latter. I'm working <laughs> on it. I'm working <laughs> on it. <laughs> Not trying to be a billionaire. Thank you. Um, and uh, on, on, on that, what, another thing that's really fascinating to me about All In yeah. and you guys is before all in and maybe it's still to a large extent i feel like silicon valley has this weird relationship with money like super weird relationship with money like you know remember there's a whole thing about like zuck drove like an acura sv oh my god that all came from david philo and um david philo and jerry yang were driving their old cars right like the cool thing like you you could like make money build a company but like you never want to like you never and be understated you guys i think are the first like like you're, you guys are like whatever fuck, like we got a private jet like that's fine like you know i mean listen i i uh uh you know yeah i believe in capitalism i think it's great if people create jobs and if they get rewards for doing so like fine i literally the, the book i'm right my second book right now i'm writing is about wealth and money and like but not like in my regard, but in a sort of like big picture societal regard. So I'm like literally been thinking about this topic a ton. And I think we worry a little bit too much about wealth creation um, with like a small like outlier wealth creation. And we, we don't think enough about inspiring people to create companies yeah. and learn. And like the time I create the most controversies when I'm like, I believe anybody can do it. And people are like, you're so wrong. And I'm like, am I? Because I go on YouTube and you could type in any topic that you want to learn and you can learn it. And all the stuff that was at MIT where I never got to go and Stanford and Brown is online for free. And I listen to macroeconomic classes and AI classes when I'm like it's 10 o'clock at night and I'm doing my email. I'll just put one of those playlists on from MIT OpenCourseWare and I'm like, I can't believe I can take a course at MIT for free Anytime I want. And then you, you know, flip it, you can build a business there. Like David Sandra over the Founders Podcast, like Mr. Beast, the MKBHD. Has, like the they, world nobody has gave never these guys been permission. Equitable. Yeah. But people want to spread a narrative that the world is unfair. And like I watched 
Well, I think the, the world way. becomes so fair and so just and so much information and opportunity become available that I'm like, wait a second. We, I could never figure out how a term sheet worked and nobody would share their term sheet. And now there are a thousand videos and blog posts on how to negotiate your term sheet. The world is still unfair. I think, I very. I think the key insight is like, recognize that the world is unfair and actually what that is is a game on the field and figure out how to play the game on the field. Sure. But I mean, it's never been more fair. So the world is unfair, true statement. And in America, it's never been more fair. You can learn, Google has like five courses online. I think it's called Grow with Google or something yeah. where they're teaching how to be a UX designer, how to do this, how to do that. Yeah. And it's free so that they can get more people to apply for jobs. And the average job entry salary for these things is like 80K. So I, I find it's very weird in the world. I think there's like a group of people who want the world to be more unfair than it actually is because it makes them feel more virtuous signaling goodness. Well, that's their community. That's how they find that there are other people who love that they tweet that the world is unfair. So they... And they have to... And it typically like is a certain type of person. I'll just leave it at that. Okay, can I... So I'm going to leave it your at question that. <laughs> I teach Founder University now. I have a course where I teach people for 12 weeks, um, or I should say I have a team that teaches it. And I'm going to actually teach it myself uh, this next cohort where I just teach people how to start companies. All right, and let's plug it. How can they find out? Founder.university, that's it. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it's basically it's free. You, The way I did it was you apply. If you want to build a company, you pay 700 bucks. If you go and you get to week 12, we charge your Stripe back, the card back, the 700 bucks. Uh -huh. If you don't come, or if you don't have an excused absence, if people miss something because of their kids or whatever, fine. But we just try to get people to complete it. Over 90% of people complete it. That's cool. So, and then we're investing 25K in some of those folks to help them start their companies. Like people don't so know all awesome. the work I'm doing like quietly, but like 200 people go to this course now. Or maybe I'll have 400 in the next cohort, the fourth cohort, we'll see. But, hmm. you know, like people can learn how to create companies. And they're like, no, they can't. And I'm like, yes, they can. Like, you have to have gone to Stanford. I'm like, no, I've invested in 350 companies. Like maybe 5% of the founders went to Stanford. Like, no, that's just not, it's patently false. Yeah. Like, you know, you have some confirmation bias. You're dealing with a data set from 10, 20 years ago. I get it. But I'm telling you, like, on the streets, ground level truth. We all meet with founders all day. It's never been more diverse. It's never been more open. Nobody cares where you went to school. Nobody People, cares where you live anymore. Nobody cares where you live. They care about what you've built and your traction. Like, it is post-pandemic. All people care about is, like, show me your metrics. Show me the product. Show me your team. What are your skills? Great, let's go. What's your growth rate? It's basically become like as beautiful of a meritocracy as I've ever seen. And man, you say the M word, it freaks people the fuck out. I'm like, why is this so scary for you that Silicon Valley is a meritocracy? And they're like, because it's not. And I'm like, it kind of is. Can I, can I answer your question earlier of what, why I think All In works? Yes. All right. Go ahead. So I think you're the, you've got the perfect storm of three things. Hmm. The first thing... Is a lot of theories on this out there, by the way. Billionaire oh. porn. Okay. Most people, you're counterpositioned. Most people who attain that level of wealth crawl into a quiet hole yeah. and make right. sure no one knows about You're doing the shows jets. from boats and jets. Yeah. So there's like... <laughs> I don't think we've done one from a jet, but yeah, there was definitely two boats <laughs> in the last two years. There That's are like, true. In, <laughs> Not in, my boat. In some peak <laughs> moments of All In, it's like watching billions in real life. 
It's like you hear you hear Chamath talk about this spread trade, and you're like, this guy's got a lot of money on that spread trade, and like, does he actually have a key insight here, or is he? And like, there's there's this interesting intrigue there. So bucket one is like billionaire porn. Bucket two is uh, by the research you guys do, and and the folks that you each work with, because there's definitely researchers that seem to be involved. You bring things to the table that are like brand new insights Mm -hmm. that aren't widely available yet. So I feel like I was learning things about Mm. COVID-19 on all in that I wasn't getting through any other source. I'm like, somehow this is not making it to me. And this feels very, like a lot of it proved out to be like, this was good information before it was mass All four of us are information junkies with a lot of research and teams that could inform us. How many people... All in, how many people touch an episode of All In? Ooh. One. Producer Nick, that's it. No, no, I mean, but like the research, the like, the I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty sure. There are text sure files open on people's I, computers when they're talking. Uh, we have a docket yeah. with the notes, but that's mainly for me to queue it up. Like I just read the four or five bullet oh. points so people know it. So I, I do that with my team, the docket, but the docket is built from, you know, the five or six stories that people submit to our group chat and say, hey, put this on the docket. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, I, I think Sachs has some research help. Yeah. I'm sure Friedberg and Chamath read the stories or they're well-read. Yeah. I mean, all of us read constantly, and we're in the information business of talking to people about the world. So you guys are investors. You know how it is. Like, you do 20 meetings a week with founders. They're going to tell you everything you're about the, the world. Yeah. And you guys are young still, but, you know, imagine you do that for 20 years. Like, you're going to get smart, or you're a journalist for 20 years. You're going to get pretty... I wouldn't necessarily say smart, but you'll be informed. So. And if you're hearing the right pitches, you actually are getting like cutting edge information sure. before it's widely available. Definitely. So, okay, that's number two. So, yeah, we probably have a slight information edge. Yeah. Certainly a huge, inf- I, I will say the information edge compared to journalists having been, a, this is not a dig to my journalist friends. I was a journalist. I had 75 people at the magazine. We were always trying to figure out from the principles what was going on and tell that story. But we were only as good as our access to information. And we probably, I now looking back on it, I think we had between five and 35% of a story. And I know that's like probably triggering to a lot of journalists that they have that little information. You, well, you weren't on the inside. But you weren't on the inside. So when you're on the inside, you have 100%. Or you, even you, on the inside, you might only have 50%, depending. You get enough to run with and you feel like, okay, now there's enough story here. Let's do it. And yeah. like, that's clearly not the whole story, but it's enough to put the piece together. You're, you're trying, and then over time, process journalism, as some people have dubbed it, you know, maybe the six or seven stories will tell the full story. Yep. yep. Which the third component do you think makes it successful? It's the thing that David and I took forever to realize works about acquired, which is relationship and charisma. Yes. Like people like having fun by listening to stuff. Sure. And so like, if we can make history fun, then yeah. a little people bit of are going to listen to four yeah. hours long of way. us diving into stuff you would never read in a book. And you guys do that in spades. Like, it's just so fun Thank to, you. like, temporarily join your world. I mean, the fact that you as a podcaster who makes elite content, like top 1% content, find it compelling is just, yeah, that's very... Um, listen every week. Don't miss it. I can't Literally walking it. the baby and up and down the hills, listening to... I mean, I have people tell me they listen to it twice, they take notes. I'm like, wow, that's wow. great. You know, I, I, I was Don't very, take notes. Maybe I should take notes. Well, anyway, I was very <laughs> intentional with my role in it to step back uh, and be like the point guard. Um, but, you know, I'm a shooting guard too, so sometimes I will want to 
shoot the ball and uh, I can do both. I'm a combo guard. Well, how did the um, Freebird yeah. Host episode come about? So well, one, one week, yeah. you switched roles. Well, he was like, I think this could be done better. This could be better. And that person was like, go ahead. And I just like, sure, I'll just shoot. Like, I, and you pass the rock, and I'll. I was like, yeah, you want to be a point guard? Go ahead, show us. And he did a he did a solid job. But let's be honest, like, it's not a point guard. <laughs> it's not Showtime, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, like, I don't think people are gonna go to watch him play point guard. I mean, he did a serviceable job, um, and <laughs> put that on his tombstone. No, I mean, but he shines when I created Science Quarter for him to shine. I right. said, bring me a sign. He's like, ah, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to talk about politics. I was like, listen, Sax wants to talk about current events politics. I'm giving him his red meat. Here's your quinoa. Come to me with a science story, you know, and we'll do <laughs> this quinoa. quinoa corner kind of thing. And I made him the Sultan of Science, and so good. You know, it was it was a distinct effort. I really wanted to make him shine, you know, and um, it worked. You know, it worked because you see how engaged he is. And what used to happen was, and fans know this. I'm not speaking out of school here. You see it every episode. Sachs would disengage during science, and quinoa would disengage during, during politics. Yeah. And what I've been trying to do is keep both of them involved yeah. when the other is doing stuff. And Shamath and I are involved. What, that's a time. hard job. That's yeah, a, that's I, a I delicate. studied, I studied uh, the McLaughlin group. People don't know this, but oh. uh, I went back to look at McLaughlin and I watched him moderate. So people, there's a big debate. Do I interrupt too much or not enough? <laughs> do my interruptions, I call them interjections, uh, do they help? And I actually looked at the interjections and... If you look at McLaughlin, have you? You guys did not grow I'm up on McLaughlin. Not super unfamiliar. So with the McLaughlin group was like yeah. the best Sunday morning show, and like it was so good, like SNL would parody McLaughlin. It probably had a million people watching it, but this guy McLaughlin was like pretty cantankerous, and if he huh. didn't like what people would say, he'd be like, "Wrong, this is the answer," you know. Like, and, and it became so competitive that you wanted to watch it. Yeah. Now. What I didn't realize by adopting that would be that Sachs is the ultimate debater and right. will fight like a dog until he that. wins any debate. And so I may have pushed uh, uh, Sachs into more of a debate situation mm. where I'm trying to not have it be a debate. I'm trying to have it be a conversation. So mm. what I've been working on is trying to keep it be a conversation. And then the some people in the audience are like, you have to be the fact checker for Sachs. And I'm like, no, that's not my role. I'm not yeah. real time fact checking sacks. And um, so that is a delicate balance of like, and then sometimes I'll ask questions specifically because I know the audience doesn't know what, you know, fair market value and they hear an acronym right, means. Right. So I'm like, explain that. Right. And I'll stop somebody. Now, I mean, you're, you're expanding the TAM to dentists. Like, when, that's correct. The, Thank you. <laughs> so people are like, oh, Jake Howell's an idiot. He doesn't know that term. Right. Or I say to somebody, can you unpack that? Can you explain that? Obviously, you know that, that term. You were what the third or fourth investor in Uber. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. Well played. I think he's been in Robinhood too. Like oh, I'm Kong like too. <laughs> wow, who knows? And I'm like, uh, dude, like I'm asking that question on behalf of the audience. So when I'm moderating, yeah, as opposed to being an interviewer, or as opposed when I'm working with Molly and we're chopping up the news, when I'm the shooter there, right, and she's maybe playing point guard a little bit, and right. I'm shooting, and then sometimes I'll pass it to her and she shoots. Like I can travel between those roles. And, you know, in that role, I'm acting on behalf of the audience and I get the sense like he's going, Chamat's going too fast. They don't know what the spread trade is. Let me pause. Can you explain one more time or let me reflect back to you. Is this what a spread trade is? And he's like, almost this. 
And that's what I think has brought in, to your point, yeah. a lot of the dentist crowd. And having an intimate sense of where your audience's edges are is is a really important role there. Like it's when we art. have guests on, I'm always trying to catch yes. where where do they just go slightly too deep and I need to pull them up so that yep. we... Yeah, and, and, and you know, podcasting is about going deep. So you, it, it is really an art. Like, do you want to stop somebody when they're going down you know, this like crazy rabbit hole? There's no hole? clock in this room. And that, well, they're, they're going down some rabbit hole that has never existed in media before. Right. So, And you want to let them go, but you need to make sure they're taking the stairs. Because like, if they just jump in, you're like, oh God, no one has any context. They can't learn anything new because you're like, you're not yeah, connecting it to something they yeah, understand. Yeah. They just jumped into brain surgery. And you're yes. Like, Let's just explain to us what's Less going on happens. here. How are we going to chop up this brain? Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an art. But, you know, I, I have to say, like, it's it's been a different muscle for me to flex. Yeah. And uh, it's been great fun for me. The other thing, like, I don't know if you think about it on this axis at all, but like... I kind of think of there's, I used to think it was very binary. Like there's two categories of podcasts. There's uh, candy and there's vegetables. And like, I listen to the audio version of Stratechery and that's my vegetables. And it's not like deeply, it's enjoyable intellectually, but it's not like fun. Hmm. And um, I, I can't, I certainly can't be doing anything else with the language center in my brain while I'm listening no. to that. I have to be like on a run and like sometimes even at home so I can take some notes or look something up. I can be cleaning, it's a pause type but I can't podcast. be. You yeah. pause it sometimes. Sometimes you hit and rewind. Right. Let me make sure I get what he's saying here. Or I can listen to the talk show with John Gruber, and it's just like, if I missed out on twenty minutes because I was like brushing my teeth, and then I left you the room and I came second. back, and I'm like, oh, I didn't actually miss anything because this has just yeah. been morning like, show. It's comforting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like I love all the stuff he's talking about, but like it's not must listen every time, every minute, every second concept, and I'm not using hard parts of my brain to understand. But you, but but All in has become candied vegetables. It's both. It's both, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, thought I try to do with This Week in Startups and All In is yep. try to have it be both. A little bit of personality, a little bit of entertainment, some fun hot takes. Yeah, right. I mean... What do you, wait, related but separate topic. Yeah. Um, Silicon Valley. Yeah. I feel like, during, especially there's a lot of... Part of the in the origins of All In, there's a lot of like bashing on San Francisco politics and California. Like, there's a lot of crap wrong here. Yeah. But you guys are all still here. How are for you now. guys feeling about for that? Now. Yeah, how do you how, how do you feel uh, about that? Like, what what do you think of the I, Bay Area? Um, you know, I lived in New York, Brooklyn, then Manhattan, and then I lived in LA, and then I lived here, and so I think my I'm moving to places I enjoy less and less each time. <laughs> like I enjoyed Brooklyn and Manhattan much more than LA. I enjoyed LA much more than San Francisco. So I don't know where to go next, but I'm gonna go somewhere. Like, Wait, so why are you still here then? Uh, well, I can't. There's no reason for you I to be. I came up is here it? because I had a lot of friends up here, and I had done LA, and I was like, I wonder how far you know. I'd been a Sequoia Scout, and then I was like, my friends are telling me I could start a venture fund. You kind of need to be up there. I wonder how I would do if I was up there in the industry. And I was kind of this because like, if you wouldn't, you'd always wonder. Well, Mar Michael Morris used to call me the mouth from the south. Um, because they had like two investments in LA. Was, oh, the mouth from the south is here. Huh, what have you had yourself <laughs> into, J-Cal? Sir Michael saying that. Uh, but I moved up here. And yes, I love it up here. It's quite bucolic. My kids are loving it. Um, it's, it's quite nice. I would love to live in another city in my life uh, or two. Uh, I could see myself in Austin or Miami. I like both of those cities. I think Austin's kind of the future. I think California is mm. going to be... Uh, damaged for a decade or two. So I think for the rest of our adult lives, this Because town, of the pandemic or? I think the politics and not appreciating, the politics, the regulation, and not appreciating 
the tech industry is really yeah. the problem. Um, and then you look at this guy, Dean. We want to thank our longtime friend of the show, Vanta, the leading trust management platform. Vanta, of course, automates your security reviews and compliance efforts. So frameworks like SOC 2, ISO 27001, GDPR, and HIPAA compliance and monitoring. Vanta takes care of these otherwise incredibly time and resource draining efforts for your organization and makes them fast and simple. Yep, Vanta is the perfect example of the quote that we talk about all the time here on Acquired. Jeff Bezos, his idea that a company should only focus on what actually makes your beer taste better, i.e. spend your time and resources only on what's actually going to move the needle for your product and your customers and outsource everything else that doesn't. Every company needs compliance and trust with their vendors and customers. It plays a major role in enabling revenue because customers and partners demand it, but yet it adds zero flavor to your actual product. Vanta takes care of all of it for you. No more spreadsheets, no fragmented tools, no manual reviews to cobble together your security and compliance requirements. It is one single software pane of glass that connects to all of your services via APIs and eliminates countless hours of work for your organization. There are now AI capabilities to make this even more powerful, and they even integrate with over 300 external tools. Plus, they let customers build private integrations with their internal systems. And perhaps most importantly, your security reviews are now real-time instead of static, so you can monitor and share with your customers and partners to give them added confidence. So whether you're a startup or a large enterprise and your company is ready to automate compliance and streamline security reviews like Vanta's 7,000 customers around the globe and go back to making your beer taste better, head on over to vanta.com acquired and just tell them that Ben and David sent you. And thanks to friend of the show, Christina, Vanta's CEO, all acquired listeners get $1,000 of free credit. Vanta.com slash acquired. Preston, like he is dunking on um, the founder of Away and Stuart Butterfield from Slack. There are a couple. Yep. And he's like, we got a million two out of them when they sold their homes. And I'm like, and you also lost two incredible founders who've created billions of tens of billions of dollars of wealth for San Francisco. You idiot. And like at the same time, Francis Suarez in Miami is listing all of the venture capital and doing a tweet storm about all the companies that raise venture capital. So you have one guy, Dean Preston, dunking on people saying, we have this 1%. So when they sold their $30 million house, we were able to extract a million two. That's why tech doesn't like me. And I was like, hey, dummy. Yeah, now the, all the future Dean. earnings are gone. Like, now, what's like, uh, hey, California marginal tax rate is 13.3%. I mean, but just so. this, they have an exit tax now for homes in San Francisco. Right. So if your home costs over 10 million, when you sell it, I mean, right. I think it's just but a sales tax. 1.2 1. million from them selling their home versus 13% that of their future like earnings stream. Literally, is like, the chef at Slack made a billion two, paid a billion two in taxes yeah. from their RSUs. Like, are you such a. Where do you think a, a you got two. to serve? Probably, right. yeah. Like yeah. The, bill, the million two, yeah. but that order magnitude probably paid in taxes yeah. on their RSUs at Slack. Like, yeah. You absolute moron. Like, you're literally so upset about their mansion and dunking, and, and you're dunking on an individual's name. Uh, but anyway, the fact that we hate entrepreneurs who create jobs and wealth, or certain people do, is just insane. It's just insane. Like, what? I mean, you could. Go change the tax code. It's fine. Like, you know, raise the minimum wage. Like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren attacking Bezos endlessly. And then Amazon starts paying 22 an hour, gives you benefits and pays for your college. And it's like, okay, hold on a second. I know what Bezos just did. He took the platform that you could never actually enact 
and he enacted it inside of Amazon. If it's not perfectly clear what just happened, literally he's dunking on you. You wanted free college and couldn't get it done. He gave it to Amazon employees. You wanted a $15 minimum wage. He made it 22. And you wanted everybody to have universal health care. And he gave universal health care. Like that is literally what Bezos did to them. How embarrassing Maybe you could argue them. that like them pushing him pushed it, but. No, know. no. Yeah. Definitely. It, it, it is literally him showing like, uh, as the Amazon crew showing like, let the free markets work. Like the DoorDash, Uber, Amazon, Starbucks, absolute um, uh, race and, and battle to just hire entry-level employees and make it delightful for them is what has driven, you know, and a lack of immigration has, is what has driven these uh, salaries up, right? Mm. And the benefits up. It's extraordinary what's happened with the free market. Minimum wage is still $7. Federal minimum wage is 7 and change still, right? Uh, and 15 here in the city, uh, mm. in New York is 15. Like, yeah, it's weird. All right, listeners, it is time to tell you about one of our favorite things now that Jason is out of the room temporarily. (laughs) Uh, For all of us who have been paying attention in this crazy space, there are now a ton of options for picking a corporate card and expense management software. So how do you cut through the noise? What's the difference between all of these companies? Well, any founder or CFO who's expanding globally and is becoming really like an enterprise-grade company will tell you most are really not up to the job. Reimbursements take forever, issuing cards internationally, huge, huge pain, and they basically never offer currency visibility. Totally. Well, this is why, so Brex was one of the first corporate cards, as most folks know. The first like new innovative. First new innovative startup, corporate card for startups, that's how they started. But now they've added on a whole spend management platform on top of the corporate card and it makes so much sense for it to all be together like the data being integrated lets them do really great stuff to like you want your employees to be compliant so it ensures 100 percent compliance but also you need it to be easy for them so you can do cool stuff like have managers set budgets and then as long as people are spending within those budgets then they're just in policy everything's always approved all the time no receipt chasing so no receipt chasing, no approvals, no, it's all just done. It's and, all integrated. And they really are thinking about this the way enterprise companies who are expanding globally and deal with lots of contractors in lots of countries with lots of currencies and just need like a command center that they're not going to outgrow, that is really when you need Rex. Yeah, like globally, like how many companies these days, even startups, employ people globally? Who are you know not just need to be paid, but then are like spending, oh dude, buying things, going to dinners, etc. Around the world, like you need something that operates globally. So plus, it's awesome. The like the remote work thing is here to stay. They shared the stat with us. Uh, more than half of the startups in the last YC batch are from outside the U.S. And then there was another one. Accenture said that workforce models with productivity anywhere are now used by 63% of growth companies. So remote is not going away. So you really do need to figure this out for people who live everywhere. Despite you and I and Jason being together here in person <laughs> today. <Yeah. laughs> we are remote. So many of you are, we know, too, obviously. Uh, the last thing that we want to tell you about with Brex today is related to being remote in different time zones. Brex now has 24-7 enterprise class, enterprise grade support, which is important because if something goes really wrong with your spend in a time zone half the world away when everybody in HQ is asleep, 
you really want somebody to be on that. So Brex now 24 seven is able to take care of everything. Yep. If you have global enterprise ambitions, Brex is the answer. And of course, they have a great mobile app. They were like one of the first corporate card programs to have a delightful mobile app. And now that they're serving large, growing customers around the world, they can do everything from that mobile app too. Indeed, indeed. If you want to learn more about Brex cards and spend management and why both of those together are now loved by teams all over the world, uh, go visit brex.com slash acquired or click the link in the show notes. Thanks, Brex. We referenced this at the start of our conversation. You're working as hard or harder than you ever have. You said you've got a smarter, a new well of energy. Yes. Tell us about it. Well, I find great purpose in what I do. And uh, when my friend Tony Shea died, I really thought deeply about like what I wanted to get out of the rest of my life. And I realized like, these are the things I really love doing. And these are things maybe not so much. Hmm. And I just realigned my life over the last two years. And so what are the the two buckets? Yeah, exactly. So I can tell you the things that just to me, I'm just not gonna get any pleasure about in life. Working like, no offense to my incredible lawyers, but negotiating term sheets and legal and HR issues and accounting and operations and tax and, you know, that entire stack of things. Not fun to me. Not fun at all. And I'm sure you never viewed that as fun, but at least before you were like, I'm willing to put up with it because maybe it's a thing that creates value enough for me to do it. Um, Doing my podcast every day. Absolute joy. Hmm. Entertaining an audience. You know, thinking uh, thinking about the world and having these conversations. I had Toby from Shopify on today. Like, I Uh-oh. leave the Toby interview. It's like his third or fourth time on the pod. That's awesome. So cool. And it's just like, instead of us having dinner or lunch, we just record a pod. The end. Um, did and you to in me, person or did he? No, just you know, hopped on Zoom. Yeah. I, he, you know, he had to start it because he did that tweet about his compensation tool yeah. where, you know, here's your total right, comps, right. You can use the slider. the slider. I was like, that's brilliant. Come on the show. You want to come on the show and talk about it? He's like, yeah, of course. Um, and so like those conversations, I just looked at them and I'm like, my energy coming out of the show is on 11. Why am I not doing this every day? And I watched Howard Stern when I was a kid or Charlie Rose do it day in and day out. And I was like, I could be like those guys. Uh, they, every day, get on there, and they seem to love it, and I do, and so I just committed to doing it every day, and I love it. Isn't it weird when there's something that takes a ton of work but somehow doesn't drain you? Not at all. To me, it's like going to the gym. It's like yeah. working out or having yeah. dinner. It's just something I do every day that gives me great joy. And then that's, I recruited Molly. I was like, I need somebody to do this with me every day. Oh yeah. Who I respect and who's awesome and bring something to the table that I don't have. And, and having, she's, she's so great. Having someone to play off of. Sure. Like, I feel like that's the thing that's kept Acquired going. Yeah. Is that like you and I can like. Yeah, I don't know how you did straight. it alone for I don't know a decade. Uh, well, I you know I'd have guests on. It was, right. it was largely a guest-driven show, and then I would right. do the news roundtable once a week because it was once a week, then twice a week, then three times a week, and then I was like, well, however many I just sell out, I'll do it five, six days a week, whatever. Um, and um, I enjoy meeting with founders uh, uh, when they fit a certain profile, uh, but it's very hard to meet with a large number of founders given how many are coming in, and it's hard to work with them when they're just talkers. Yeah. To me, that's a very hard part of the job because it becomes very repetitive. So how have you excised that? Well, I created a platform, Foundry University, where if you want to build something, I will talk myself to 200 people. Mm -hmm. You can build. And then whatever rises 
as the performance and the product, you know, and they, as people move from talkers to the walkers to from, you know, when they actually start building stuff, that's when I get great joy. Yep. And so I'm like, bring me the people who have product velocity. So I told my team, listen, you're doing, my team does six, people don't understand the scale of the business I have. Nobody's yeah, I don't. really understands what I'm doing and I, I kind of like it that way, but the Angel Syndicate is now the largest syndicate in the world. I've deployed like $185 million in my career as an angel investor, I'm doing 50 million a year now. That's awesome. You know, I'm raising the fourth fund in public, like 11,000 angels in the syndicate. Like this is going at a really significant velocity. If you were to look at the slope uh, it's not quite a hockey stick, but it's hockey stick-esque in terms of the total capital I've deployed. And it's in really high-quality companies I'm getting better at. There's 11. I have 22 people and 10 on the media side and 12 on the investment side. Hmm. And of the investment team, like people don't understand. They're like, oh, you're a solo GP. I'm like, yeah, with 12 people. Um, those people are doing 60 introductory meetings per week, 6-0. And then we're doing maybe 15, 20 second meetings. So there's... It'll be 100 meetings a week shortly, probably in the Across 10 people or 12 yeah, people. But you're not doing the... I'm not doing them. Yeah. Uh, and what happens is... You I, had this line, was it on... It was, either on, it was on Twist, I think. Not for me. You, oh, that's like, a lot of work. People say, that's a lot of work. But you're like, yeah, but not for me. That is the new <laughs> philosophy. This is why my energy is really high. This is your... I your, have told your everybody unlock. who comes to work for me, I work 60, 70 hours a week. Keep up. Mm. If you can't keep up, don't be here. Uh, I'm looking for a you know a fixed fifty, a solid sixty hours a week. If you want, yep. you don't have to match me sixty-seven, but sixty or seventy hours a week. But keep up. And are you looking in that team? Are you looking for like the next Jason Calacanis to be a part of that to. team, or is it like yeah. someone who likes doing that part? Like that's well. Let me ask it more directly. Is it someone who's content with doing this, or are you looking for people that are like hungry enough to be the next Jason? I'm open to all of it. Yeah, you know, I'm open to all of it. I don't. They don't need to want to have my you know, absurd, um, unhealthy desire in my youth to be successful. Um, and if they did, they probably wouldn't come work for me, but maybe they would. Actually, I would. Uh, so yeah, they probably would. Um, Not for very long. <laughs> yeah, my right. might be you like come, you'd learn, three years. Yeah, you'd go. extract. I'm fine with it too. If people come and they work for two, three, four years and they go start their own venture fund or whatever, muscle tough, it's great. Um, but what I told them was, you know, let's just find the great companies. And I looked at investment team meetings, usually they're Monday, People do it for an hour or two, and then they go to lunch. Uh, I said, I want to do it twice a week, Tuesday and Thursdays, 2 to 4 p.m. Uh, hit me with companies. So that was another innovation I did. And I also brought Mike Savino, who was my first boss when I was in my 20s doing IT, and I brought him on as president. So this is like one of my lifelong best friends. And I said, run the company. Here's what I want to do. The podcast, meet with founders, do the LP fundraising. That's it. Hmm. Uh, you know, Ooh. teach the course. Are you enjoying the LP fundraising? I am now. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm kind of like. Uh, remember an X? I don't know if you watch Billions. Oh yeah, but every episode. Great. So you know, like at some point, um, uh, he was like, "I'm gonna go raise money." Yeah, it's cap raise time. It's cap raise time, and like Wags is like. So I got my Wags. Mike Savino's my Wags. Yeah. And uh, I got my Wags, who just <laughs> fixes everything. And I'm like, I'm gonna go raise money. And so I literally was like, we're doing 506C, and they're like, and so you've talked about do this that. now. You're 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 now, you were in kind of this one bucket with your capital, and now you're going simultaneously in two directions of you want the public, and you want the big institutions, right? We'll see. Um, I've had select institutions make small bets. The first fund was 10, the next fund was 11, 
And then the last fund was $44 million. The first fund I deployed in five years, second fund two years, the third fund two and a half. Five years. Wow. I was just, that was my first fund. It was, yeah. you know, me, right. Bill Gurley, Dave Goldberg, rest in peace, Tony Shea, rest in peace, David Sachs, Chamath, just a bunch of my friends put money in. And it was to see if I wanted to be a venture capitalist and do this as a career. And I was like, yeah, I just did it over five years. And the second one, I, I raised 11. It took me six months to a year to raise the first. It took me, the second one took three to six months. The, no, it took six months. The third one took me three months to six months. And in this one, I, I think I'll wind up raising in the first 10 days what I raised in the first, yeah, a couple of funds. Wow. Like, I literally That's did two awesome. webinars, a couple of hundred people came to each. So for people who are listening, 506C is you can raise in public, which means you just can tell people I'm raising a fund. And I was like, well, I'm doing all in. It doesn't make any money. Uh, I have this week in startups. And I watched a bunch of these young, um, aspiring VCs raise uh, publicly. Right. Yeah. You didn't raise publicly. No. You did no. private. Um, I thought about it, but for a whole bunch of reasons. Well, it's yeah. kind of scary because people yeah. don't do it. But if you have no track record and you want to raise, so like this guy, Mac, the VC. Yeah, uh, you, you did a great episode with him. Yeah, it was great. I had him on. Uh, I had like, you know. First time founders for a season of Angel, um, which is like a subsection of the This Week in Startups podcast. And I became an LP in this fund. And he just told me, like, I just did like hundreds of meetings. I did like five meetings yeah. a day for yeah. a year. And I raised oh, my whatever, $10 million. And uh, he's African American. And he's like, it's just a matter of how hard do you want to work. And I'm like, wow. well, be careful saying that publicly because there's a group of people who do not want you saying that. He's like, no, it's just all you have to do is like you go to Angelish, you set it up, and then you just yeah. start talking to other VCs. You talk to them, and you just, you just have to be willing to take 50 meetings a week. And I'm like, dude, do not say that it's easy to raise a venture fund as a black man <laughs> in Silicon Valley. But that's the position. It's not that it's easy, right. but On that the it's internet, possible. too, you find your people who believe that correct. with you, and then they believe in you, and then they back you, and correct. then that's the Correct, like, correct. And so the whole thing mm-hmm. But what I noted when I was taking my notes watching him was so many times people were like, oh, you're, when's your next fund? And I'm like, three years. And they're like, oh, let me know. And I'm like, okay. Right. Now, oh, I'll, I'll put that right there in the place where I keep everyone who tells yeah, me. Yeah, three years from yeah. now, what to do, yeah. And so, you know, um, I mentioned it on All In. I tweeted it, and all of a sudden, you know, I had a 1,000 people sign up. Is there for, a limit to the number of LPs you can have? Of course, yeah. It's 250 accredited, up to 10 million, and then 2,000 QPs. And so it's, it's, a, it's a lot more work. And, and, and QPs. Not for, me, not for you. But not there for me. To, to catch Qualified. everyone up. Purchasers, uh, yes. people Look who at have, you playing, Jason. I know you know what a QP is. I just want to dish the ball. I think it's five million in uh, investable assets, yeah. like, uh, and then uh, accredited now is two hundred if you're an individual for the last two years, each of the last two years, and three hundred if you're a couple, each of the last two years in income or a million dollars in net worth, in net yeah, worth outside of your primary residence. So there's a whole, and these things are going to change over time. But I believe that we're going to have a test for accreditation. And you'll be able to be sophisticated if you take a course. So I think that's coming in the coming year. So just like I democratized angel investing, wrote the book Angel, was the first syndicate on AngelList, the most successful syndicate on AngelList, created my own, got the domain name, the syndicate, created the largest one, have done 265 syndicate deals, by far like the largest amount of anybody, I think. I, I don't Which know. These, I mean, now as a participant of a fund on AngelList, like, I, these are like, I'll, those are big numbers. Like. We've you do something consistently. Four SPVs on AngelList, and we have the fun too. But yeah. like, you know, yeah, like that's a lot. You're herding cats. You need to have a lot of people. Um, but anyway, putting all that together, I think now is the time to democratize venture capital. 
So that's what I'm attempting to do here is I want uh, more people who are accredited and qualified purchasers who've never been in a venture fund to look at the asset class and just consider it. Um, it's high risk. It's high reward. I'm in 20 venture funds myself, including yours. Thank you. Um, and I'm sure but don't I, but don't pitch Jason. That's I'm sure don't I will do yours. No, I mean, I, I'm just going to pick them based on people I know or people I know online or people yeah. on the pod. And, you know, I'll do one or two new ones a year. And... Um, well, this is kind of to the conversation earlier. Like on the internet, this is the democratizing thing. Nobody's going to just give you if you just you know nobody's going to just invest in your fund. But if you go do stuff, yes, and then people are like, oh, Jason does stuff. Great, I'm a back Jason. Ben does stuff. I'm like be of action. Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't mean you have to start a podcast. You could be a blog. You could do events. Whatever. Yeah. You could create Founder University. Whatever it is, you can do any of those things. Um, you could have a track where you can be an advisor to startups. Whatever it is. Do you like the idea? I'm, I'm curious, as someone that's always raised uh, from sort of individuals, do you do you like the idea of having some institution be like, ha- can we invest fifteen million dollars? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I, I've had five you know million dollar checks, ten million dollar checks in the fund yeah. from institute from you know fund to funds and, and institutions you would know. But I would very much at some point. I don't need it, but I would be meaningful for me. Uh, both my parents are cancer survivors. To have. Memorial Sloan Kettering's endowment yeah. or an endowment. UCSF or something like that. Yeah, yeah, somebody like that, you know, if they wanted, I would work, you know, really hard to try to get them a great return. I would find more, I would find even more meaning in what I do. Yep. Uh, and, I, you know, I got that from Sequoia. Like, you know, you, they would have this Sequoia dinner every year for the founders and they would say, here are what the foundations who are LPs are doing with the money you made for them with your companies. Yeah. Click, click. Here's what Ford Foundation is doing. Here's what this foundation is doing. Here's what, and you're just they have like, their, their conference rooms are named after their And the LPs conferences are famously yeah. named after It's like... And, and this is real. Powerful. Like, I, I find we have, like, state pension funds and stuff like that. And, and yeah, that'll make you get... In PSL Ventures. Yeah. And, like, you take it much more seriously. You're like, I am... It's Because it's not just about the reward. It's not like, oh, I, I'm so excited about what we're going to do for them. It's like... I, this is really important to preserve and not grow, but like preserve this capital. Yeah, yeah. I Which mean, the, the psychology of doing that while you're taking big swings with asymmetric upside, that's that I find to be a fascinating dance. That was like one of the seasons of that of uh, Billions was he's like, I'm going to be a family office. No, I'm going to raise my own fund. Right. right? Uh, and so there's this natural tension for um, acts like, which should it be? And he decided... Yeah, I like when I have other people's money because he he seemed to perceive like... I think he felt that he wasn't a somebody in his ecosystem, in his community, without maybe. managing outside capital. I think it's like playing, you know, in the bubble with nobody in the stands versus right. getting on the court yes. at Madison Square Garden yeah. like, and there's people in the stands. Your returns, your numbers don't mean anything unless you're putting them up for... Dude, other. I'm doing this public, or I should say quasi-public, people that still have to sign up to, you know, come to a webinar... Um, but I'm sharing with them, like, here's my the totality of my investments, and here's what I've done, and here's what I plan on doing with my team. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of enjoying it. Um, and if, you know, I've met with all the top endowments in the world over the years, and they're very kind to me, but it's always been, like, solo GPs, a blocker, no track record. Your fund is so small. Small, false, like, yeah, small fund. We're a $50 you know, billion dollar endowment. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. like, you know, um, at some point, like one of the ones who's the most rigorous, I wouldn't say exactly which one was like, we have a lot of respect for you. We know who you are. People would like you to sign a book and take a selfie with you when you're here. <laughs> but I just want to be straight with you. We don't add many funds. And if you go through our process, it's going to take a lot of your time. 
And it's going to result in you not getting our money this time. I don't want to put you through that. Mm-hmm. But I respect you. And if you want to do it, we'll do it. But maybe just put one more fund on the board and let's talk in the next one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's do that. Mm-hmm. I don't need the money. Let's wait. And I think what a lot of these funds are doing Was now, that in the last fund cycle? That or? was in the third fund cycle. Yeah. So now... So I will contact them. What I decided to do was, let's see what my syndicate members and the public want to do. Let's see which QPs come out of the woodwork. Yep. And uh, literally, I did the second call this week, the first one last week. I'm doing the third one next week. And it's been so productive. Uh, I added two more. So I'm going to do five webinars this fall. And then I'm going to go on the road and start meeting with folks. Are there any downsides to doing the the raising in public thing other than... Not that I can see. I mean, I guess you could fail in public to fail to raise the fund. That doesn't seem like something you're scared of. No. (laughs) I could also, you know, the the freeing thing, you know, is I looked at the model and I said, you know what I could do? I could just invest my own money in each company and then syndicate them and never have another LP. Right. But then you're raising capital every single time you're making an investment. Yeah. And I'm getting deal by deal carry. And I have 100% of my investment, not 25% carry on it. And I don't ever have to talk to anybody. I could just say, I'm placing this bet. Would anybody like to join me? Yep. And I don't have to have a fund. I don't have to do audits. I don't have to do any work. Wait, this is, so literally, this you know, it's so funny hearing you say this. Myself, lots of our other friends in the ecosystem that are in similar positions, they're having this same question. Like, yes. on the one hand, I could do what you just said and do very little work, but but have it all be pure. On the other... Yeah, I could go do what you are actually doing yeah. and like raise, have LPs be accountable. Yeah, how did you weigh these two? Um, I I'm going into my second era, my second decade of uh, investing, and I again last two years a lot of like sort of post pandemic and Tony's death thinking, huh, like what's possible here? Because. I've won so much in my life. I don't mean to be obnoxious about this. I know it probably sounds that way, but for a kid who's, you know, going to be a cop to be where I am. uh, And this is why, like, when the guys break my chops on the pod, I'm like, guys, I don't aspire to be a billionaire. It's not important to me. If it was, I would do a late stage fund. I aspire to be happy and do what I love doing every day, which is the podcast. Maybe get in 40 days of skiing, hang out with my kids, take them on the mountain, and then meet with like, you know, early founders and be able to say, I helped that company at the earliest stages. That to me is the rush. I found them first. I backed them first. I sat there with them and figured it out with them. We were talking about the legendary twist episode 180 with you and and Travis. Yes. Like... I mean, Man, that was, that's that was, the secret before the show stuff, David. Yeah, that is. The <laughs> but, but from no, the, I mean, from I'll, the I'll juicy talk about, before the show. I can talk show. about Travis. And, yeah. You know. Yeah, but that was like, you know, you know, Uber yeah. was such a baby company back then. And like, Crazy. you know. One city. One I mean, city. I invested and I had an open angel for him where Cyan Bannister and Chris Fralick from First Run, you know, invested in the company. I think they both met them there. Sokka was there too, but he already, he had a relationship with Travis, so I can't take any credit for that. And Kevin Systrom was watching and I was going to kick him out. <sighs> Because uh-huh. he was at this co-working space called Dog Pass Labs. Labs. I worked there too. 
Yeah, I worked at Cotweed. Yeah, so he was oh Cotweed, I know that. Yeah, so he's sitting over there building bourbon. Yep, and, and right. Sokka's like, "Can bourbon come in?" I'm like, "Fuck no, this is like private shit." And he's like, "But," and I'm like, "Just tell him to sit at his desk, and I won't <laughs> kick him out." Wait, just... this open angel form was at Dogpatch Labs here on the pier. No oh, way! I think okay. that third year, then they shut down it, because it was going to collapse. Condemned. Yeah, it got condemned. Um, so that was there. And uh, Naval Travis, also did a bunch of like events there for Angel Hacks. I at the time, Naval and I were very friendly. Um, not not friendly now, but not we don't hang out or we but we used to hang. Um, kind of bummed about that if I'm being honest. Um, I really respect him and uh, he, he was doing something called venture hacks at the time. So he would just right. send an email with here are the five companies and I was doing it in person. And he's like, I'm gonna do this thing angel list. I'm like, well I'm doing this in person thing and he's like, Great, let's just, you know, trade notes or whatever. And he, then he sent me the syndicate thing. He's like, do you know about SPVs? I was like, I don't explain it to me. And he taught me what SPVs were. He introduced me to a sure fund management, which I wound up investing in. Um, Did you buy that? I didn't buy it. I, I mean, I bought 5% of the company. I invested okay. in it, but they back everybody and uh, they've done more SPVs. Like, like, I don't know if they're up to 10,000, 5,000. I mean, they've done it's a crazy, ton of them. Seriously great group over there. Um, and so he taught me how to do syndicates and the first one i did was calm at four or five that's nuts I, it's funny i was i was looking for like your, literally like out. winning a championship the first time you step on the court i was looking at your bonkers. track record getting ready for this and i was telling david like i think the word that i used because like obviously uber is some ridiculous multiple on a return um but then there's these other ones that are like promising but early and yeah. then there's other ones where it's been a less than uber multiple but still a good uber multiple but you look at calm you just, sh- I, t- I looked at David and I was like, he sharpshootered that one. Like, <laughs> he did. That one I could be even more proud of because I'll I mean, tell you why. It was like ridiculously early and like a super low basis. They had, it was $4 million. We put 378K in on 6% and uh, they didn't raise any money until it was a $250 million valuation. So no dilution. Wow. Wow. Um, and um, Sharpshooter. Sharpshooter. And it's, it's like really like, Vanta I might even, same story. I could even cry like, Telling the story, but um, Alex, too, and I became very good friends. And Michael Acton, you know, afterwards, because um, he wasn't actively running Calm while Alex was. Um, Alex, at some conference, I was interviewing him and doing a little victory lap for him, and, um, giving him his flowers. And he said, yeah, I just want to stop and tell you, uh, you don't actually know this story, but we were going to shut the company down. And we had oh, Mike and I had a conversation. What? Do we take your money? But we're not sure about this. But you believed in us so much, and you insisted on us taking the money, but we had just pitched 40 investors, and they all said no. And we were trying to debate if we could, in good conscience, burn your money to do this. And we wow. probably, Calm would not be here. For and they and found like, product market fit while burning through yes, your money. I think so. I think so. Because and you're like, take more of my money. <laughs> no, no. But I mean, if you think about that as like a, that is not the case with Uber or Robinhood. I was along for the ride. Let's be honest. Uh, they, I did not change the trajectory of the like, company. But for Jason Calacanis, Calm That's what they was said. not. It, well, he said it's, they were going to shut it down possibly. I don't believe that they would, but I do think it was on the table. That's like real angel investing. That's like there's, real. That's there's, real. There's a lot of like individuals participating in venture Party rounds rounds. and like, yeah, no offense. Oh, hey. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> take like, any offense. <laughs> so like call that angel investing, but like coming in <laughs> when the company could die needs 100K, 200K, 300K to get it to the stage where they- revenue to date, I think, when I invested. Like ever. And, yeah, uh, because they were selling the app for $10. Because remember, at the mm. early stages, there was no subscription model. Right, in the app store. You just sold an app for $10. That's a person had right. it for life. Uh, so the business Apple. model of apps was make a lighter 
for a dollar, then make lighter two yeah. and charge three dollars, and then lighter four would come out, and you'd be like, well, this doesn't make any sense. It's like making Microsoft Word 1.0, you buy it, you throw yeah. it away, and it's like, but we could just update it. And it's like, yeah, but we need to make more money, so shut the old one down. So you'd buy Angry Birds, and you buy right. Angry Birds 2, Angry Birds 3, and you know. It was a really weird time, and then they're like, yeah, we're doing, so they, they told me like, you know, because, um, you know, I was under NDA as well, and, you know, hey, subscriptions are coming. That's going to change everything. And they were going to do $10 a year. And I said to Alex and Michael, how much does it cost to go to a meditation class? It's donation-based. And there's only like 10 places you can go. I'm like, well, what a, what's a suggested donation? It's like $20 in LA. Mm. I said, you want to charge $10 a year. It's $20 a month. How often do you have to do this to $20 get value? a visit. Right? Yeah, I, yeah, $20 a visit. I said, how often do you have to do this if, to get value? I said, it should be a daily practice. We're like, well, how often do you have to go and learn? I said, if you go weekly, that's good. I was like, so it's $80 a month to go and we're charging $10 a year. So that's like $1,000 a year versus $10. What if it was $10 a month? They're like, we've been thinking about that. I was like, okay. And they're like, okay, yeah, I think we're gonna do that. And it was, then they went to $10 a month or whatever. And then it wound up at $60 a year, whatever it was. But it became a money printing machine pretty quickly. Did, um, so, so I've never made an investment at like pre-product market fit that's mm-hmm. like now worth over you know a billion dollars. Like that's a, that's, a, that's a very early to very successful. And I'm curious, yeah. Like, did it feel any different when you were making that investment? Were you like, there's something at yes. more special here of course. than yeah. my normal investment? Absolutely. Yeah. Really? Absolutely. And that, that's what I've basically turned into a playbook at launch and that I'm teaching these 12 people how to do is how to do that. What do you think it was? Like, what, what was, when you look back and you're Nine like... Factors. Nine factors. Nine. Nine okay. Factors. All right. Well, Angel Angel Dot University. Angel Dot University. <laughs> no, I don't even teach at Angel Dot University. But oh. um, I, I'm training my team when they're meeting with those sixty companies, oh. and every time they pitch me one, they say this has three of the nine, this has four of the nine, uh. and then I'm creating the anti list. These are the things that kill companies. So how many of the fifteen things we have a long list of things that kill companies? How many of the red flags does it have? Reasons to not invest. How many reasons to invest does it have? And you know, like one of them for me, and everybody's got their different philosophy. I won't give all of them, but one of them is world class design. And so I'm trying to teach people what world-class design is. And world-class design to me is if you were to look at all the companies in the space, this one would have the best design, mm-hmm. or this would be one of the top 10%. So if you were to look at something like Calm or Robinhood, okay, they're the best looking app with the best UX of mm-hmm. all of, of anybody in the category. Right. right. So Calm was better than Headspace, Robinhood was better than E-Trade. I mean, it just doesn't take a rocket science to look at them. But when I first explained this to my team, they would bring me companies and they'd say, world-class design. And I'm like, hmm. I'm like, they're like, I really like the design. I'm like, pull it up. And they pull it up. And I'm like, that's a template from, yeah. you know, like a website builder. And it's a stock photo. But where's the actual design of the product? And they're like, oh, that's on this product page. And we have product page. And I was like, okay, yeah, again, that's just like the, I mean, if this was a bank's website, maybe. But that's not world-class. That's serviceable design that's utilitarian design that's okay design that's good design it's not world class so let's if we're going to say world class like a world class performance is different than a serviceable performance world class cinematography world class script world class dialogue mm. that's different and that's and then product velocity is the other one i like so mm. okay we met with this company in june it's now july what's changed about the product and they're like we don't know i'm like okay well let's find out where's their change log where's their roadmap so in the earliest stages, you might have revenue traction or user traction, but you might be able to ask them for their product roadmap. And somebody like Travis would be like, 
yeah, here, I'll get on the phone with this guy and we'll walk you through it. Here's what we're debating about on Sunday. We're reprioritizing. And then this. a month later, they've like, check, and then they check, like, check, check, check. check, check. Yeah. And then you go like, if we're with Raul, with Superhuman, and I was an investor in his company before that report of Raul, yeah. like the change log <laughs> at Superhuman. Dude, is, Superhuman. That people don't realize, like, the, like, the, bink, bink, new feature, bink, new feature. Oh, boom, we fixed Grammarly. Oh, bink, we have calendar. Boop. Yeah. Oh, we got a new calendar feature. Boop, we got this feature. And you're like, Hmm. So here's an interesting question. We should ask Rahul this. We've had him on the show three times now. Product genius. Like, the the parallels between Superhuman and Figma are uncanny. Like, design-led founder, a, like, revolutionary design in the software, rewriting the entire browser stack in It'll order to get the performance. And I remember it being breakthrough when it came out. And then the only thing that I can recall being different between then and now is adding a calendar thing that I don't use and a mobile app. And iPad support, and and why Outlook like, support? You just don't, you know, when you hit Command K, yeah, you probably know fifty percent of the features. Right. There. Like, do you use Remind Me of this? I do. Okay, great. Do you use labels? Do you do snippets? I do. Okay, yeah. So, Which it was all there when I started yeah. using it four, three, four years yeah. ago. I think a lot of those things have gotten better and better. Yeah. So yeah. it's just that like polish, yeah, polish, 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 polish. polish, polish. Um, I really like want them to make snippets multiplayer. I want to share my snippets. Oh yeah. Oh, with your team. Yeah. I love. Yeah. So like, I want all know. of David's pass emails. They're so nice. I don't oh, do pass email emails. anymore. <laughs> like, I'm you like, do it on the phone? Are you no, no, I just don't do email. David just doesn't. I don't email well, how do you, anybody. You know, when you pass, I actually on a company, do have all pass emails from. Where? I've been, uh, I've been literally creating a collection of how to pass with my team, and I'm standardizing that. I'm trying to. Great founders. I don't know that I'll be successful, and this may be a mistake, but I'm trying to. Just not have, I don't end up having a conversation with the company if I'm not going to invest. No, but you must say, hey, we are not going to invest. You've took a pitch. Oh, no, I, I, I get it. I don't, How do you I, say don't no? I don't, you I don't, you basically don't take a pitch I don't, yes, unless you're yes. going to invest. It's yes. the weirdest thing. Oh, that's very weird. So you do all your work up front, you front well, load it, the deck, we, everything. We're in this unique position, you are too, but um, with Acquired, where like, you know, we have yeah. every six months, we have six companies that we work with on the show right. as our sponsors and our partners. And, and we get to know them really it's well. Modern Treasury. And, it's and I'm now an investor in just about all of those companies. Okay, fair so, it. so it's not like a, but it's yeah, they're pitching me. It's growth stage investing. Yes, it's, it's like growth later stage. They're clearly the winner. Yeah. Yeah. They're not yet priced in. as if they're the winner most of the yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. They're going to just keep compounding. Yeah, yeah good luck. Yeah. Pricing's going to be hard. Uh, well, depending, we'll see. On, depending we'll see. on entry price. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen to these companies after, you know, the flat is the new up, but I think, you know, 50% haircut is the new flat. Well, so, public comps got hit 50 yeah. plus percent. Yeah, I mean, this so. week they got hit harder again. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm buying equities right now. I've been doing it at jtrading. jtrading.com, and um, I am going to buy more. Uh, Sorry about all my picks quarter. a couple weeks ago. Which one? Uh, whatever I told oh, yeah, you. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I actually love but, Taiwan Semiconductor. Uh, oh, and uh, Stitch Fix was the other one. Stitch, no, 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 Stitch Fix wasn't yours. Twilio. Twilio was yours, and I love that one, too. And I, I, I like Shopify as a pick. Um, I'm actually really enjoying it. It's really not investment balancing advice. out. Not investment advice, but it's balancing out my... Um, understanding of what public success is compared to private. And so for me, it's yes. just a way, like, am I going to fight with the blast or no? I'm a Jedi, I use a lightsaber. <laughs> but, you know, but if I'll you learn at, if to you use a blast. The very yeah. best it's, it's not as elegant. It's helpful. It's really helpful. It's if you look at the helpful. very best people, the best GPs like, in on. venture yes. over the past 
two decades, sure. they all trade public stocks. Yes. And they Still do it growing. for the same reason. They're going to fight with the Sabre, yeah. but like they want to know how, how to, use to also use a blaster. Yeah, or how to fight it, an X-Wing or something. Like It's yeah, not what exactly. a Jedi does, but Jedi will do it. It also keeps you really sensitive to the public cycles so that like... Yes. You, it's not that you have to think about the public comps when you're investing, mm-hmm. but you have to be aware of how much those will change. Yeah. And early stage investing, it's almost silly to compare to, like my opinion is it's very silly to compare to public comps because the only thing you know no. for sure is we're going to be at a different place in the cycle Sorry. by the time this company gets liquid. So it's, just, it's ridiculous, but it's helpful to gr- drive into you like how much variability there is. When was the last time it was this different? That's sort of uh, Yeah, I'm really enjoying understanding what the founders of those companies go through versus the founders of the private companies that go through. What the board's de- decisions the board has to make of a public yeah. company versus the board of a private company. Yeah. So it, you know, I'd like to join a public board at some point. It's probably not a good idea for me to have said that because I might get an invite for one and that might be too much work. But um yeah, but, uh, no, but hey, especially given the market right now, I better be careful. But you could Somebody you could also be, um, to do that. But it's just it's been especially great. through the show now. You you have relationships with public company founders. Sure, of course. That yeah. you I can, mean, if I really wanted to, I'm sure I could lobby. Oh, and I'm not saying you don't, you don't have to spot. be on the board though. You can have yeah, a great I'm relationship. Yeah, I'm just enjoying with, doing the analysis, and I'm doing it anyway with Molly every day. Okay, you know, Twilio's or Adobe's come. I just bought Adobe this week when they bought Figma. So yeah. funny, so did I. Not yeah. investment advice. Not investment advice. But I was like, they bought Figma. sure they tanked. Okay, so here's my theory on this. They bought Figma and tanked. And I was like, why did why do people hate this? And they're like, oh no, Adobe's admitting defeat and that like they can't innovate Smart. in-house. Or And to me, I, I look at it like Adobe has customer channel and it was foretold five plus years ago that they were not going to build the next Figma. Like that would be yeah. a full rewrite of their entire software stack. Yep. So buying the thing, even though they paid a tremendous premium, because 50x revenue multiple because of the network effects that sure. Figma has, um, and obviously all the product stuff. But if they can get that through Adobe's channel, like I think that is an absolute win-win acquisition. And all these people that are like, oh, they're going to ruin it. They're going to kill Figma. No, they're not. That's why they paid $20 billion for it and have a gigantic bonus for Dylan to stay on board. Yes. They're taking a YouTube approach. I think everybody in M&A know, knows now. Yeah. Like, or let it be. WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Just l- leave it alone. Don't screw it up. Um, and then, so I, I like your analysis. I added to that analysis is if you're not going to win the war and you can build an alliance and then fight another war, like they've just removed the downside of Figma creating Photoshop. I'd be concerned for Adobe if they didn't buy Figma. Correct. So the fact that you're giving us a discount on the shares for them doing the right thing is like Christmas. Like, thank you. You just discounted the right move. Fantastic. It would be like, people are like, oh, you know, the Warriors signed Kevin Durant um, and you <laughs> know what? Odds, we're going to lower the biggest odds. Are we're lowering down. the cost, but they paid um, a lot to get them on the team. So yeah, and oh, you know what? We're going to lower the cost of the tickets. So <laughs> okay, I'll buy courtside seats, or yeah. you know, or they're lowering the odds in Vegas. It's like, yeah. wait, you're, why are you lowering the odds? Their odds increased. I, I'll place that bet. So it's just that, an obvious bet. And then there's all that's left is Canva, and Melanie's awesome. Totally different thing. But yeah, and they have a free Canva already. And you know what if? There's always a, the internal people who are penciling out that spreadsheet. Yep. There's a group of MBAs who penciled out that spreadsheet with Figma. No offense to MBAs who are listening. And they said, hey, boss, if 
X, Y, if X, Y, Z. And they said, you know, here's like five potential paths. If we make Figma free for 10 users and whatever, or if we, you know, take whatever Figma costs and then we blend it yep. with the Adobe suite, okay, we would get this many more Figma users. Mm -hmm. But we know when we get Figma users, then we get non-designers to pay for it. So right now Adobe has a bunch of designers paying for it. Right, right, right. Yep. But they may not have all the non-designers in right. there. Only designers pay Adobe. Right. Well, no, they have, Figma, they, have, they have marketing cloud, but that's a totally well, yeah, different only creatives. set of... Yeah, yeah, only... But, yeah. but when you look at Figma, like, I got a Figma account. Like, people who are doing, giving feedback on designs, the yep. business side, the sales side can get into Figma. So I Plus, think they got the, the whole creator class. Exactly. So I think you're opening up the aperture of who design software is for with Figma. It's for BD. It's for the CEO. Sure, the CFO can come in and take a look at the product. Oh, legal should come in and take a look at the product. Yep. Yeah, buy them a seat. So it's like Slack is for the dev team. And it's like, yeah, and the sales team. And ops. And anybody else might as well be on there because that's where everybody yeah, is. Yeah, and yeah. So that's what I think is going to have with Figma. It's like everybody's going to have a Figma account in the future. It, yeah. Just to watch the product team build the product and put a comment in. And who yep. cares if it's 100 bucks a year? It's cost of doing business. Any, any company that has... Uh, like that kind of strong network effects inside an organization deserves a meaningful revenue multiple because they just, their differentiator is literally a, the company's moat. So like yeah. I, I tweeted this, but like if I have a castle and it has a moat around it that yeah. is much wider or deeper yeah. than your identical castle, shouldn't you pay more for my castle because totally. it's more defendable? 100%. Like the virality of it, I think Sachs made this point on All In two weeks ago, which was like, if they're paying 50X now and the company's growing... Okay, they're paying 20x right. next year, who, yeah, 25x, right. who cares? Right. You're seeing such a high growth company. And then I was just thinking, well, somebody's got a theory there. And when I sold weblogs to AOL, people were like, oh my God, these people are idiots. They gave $30 million to, you know, for Weblogs Inc. They've only got 200K in revenue. What they didn't realize was AOL Autos, AOL Tech, AOL Lifestyle, those were sold out at like a $90 mm. RPM, revenue per thousand pages. Yep. The ads, different mm. CPMs. So then they would put an Engadget or an Autoblog story or Blogging Baby or whatever other blog we had on the homepage of AOL. And a half million people would flow through. Hmm. And then they would put those ads on our sites. And then they would blow out fifty dollars or $100,000 in ads a day on a blog. And those people were like, great, um, because it was costing AOL to make content like $500 per piece of content, $3,000 per piece of content on AOL.com slash autos, whatever. And we were doing it for, at the time, five bucks a blog, five dollars a blog post, because we said, well, people can write four an hour, so it's twenty bucks an hour, right. and it's six dollar minimum wage. It Man, makes sense. God, fifteen the years ago, media game has changed so much. And then I was like, you okay. guys were doing two hundred k annual revenue. We had done two hundred k to date. Holy, over God. the eighteen months. What is so it? I mean, now like the, the world we're in today, People looked at the multiple, like, and they were like, Jay Cal just robbed. <laughs> and I was like. Okay, thirty no. million dollars. But now, like, I, okay. I look like what, an do, idiot. what do you think? Like, here's a. a uh, I look like an idiot five years later, and that's the best. The best M and A. Yeah. Is when. Yeah. You look like you robbed the bank. Yeah. And then five years later, it YouTube. looks like you robbed the founder. YouTube, YouTube Instagram, Figma will be in this Instagram. category. Like, yeah, when they bought Instagram, they're like thirty people work at this company, and they gave yeah. them a billion dollars. Yeah. You guys are morons. And it's now a, it's a hundred. Uh, okay, wait, here's, here's, a, here's yeah. a thought exercise question. Yeah. Obviously yeah. irrelevant because you don't monetize it. Yeah. What do you think the enterprise value of All In is? Well, it would do $10 million in, I, 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 when I was at the Code Conference, you know, a lot of people have been trying to buy it or 
you know, put it as part of their network, obviously. Um, Which would kill it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, my partners are right. Like, let's not make money from it. Part of part of the delightfulness of it is that we're not trying to monetize right. it. Well, but but you do get a huge economic value out of it. Just, I mean, even without always monetizing. Shmuck, Shmuck pulled me aside at some point and was like, hey, Schmuck, like, just we're friends. Like, yeah. you're all, your next fund will be bigger hey, than dumbass. the revenue. Hey, <laughs> dumbass. <Yeah. laughs> and I was like, you know, when you have a friend who can be like, hey, dumbass, yeah. like, that's a good friend. So yeah. I appreciate Shmuck saying that. And he's right. And it's playing out. Um, and we had a rule, no... Um, no talking our books on the pod, but we kind of talked about it. And we're like, the pod is great when we talk about our bets. Right. So explaining our bets, not talking our book, is the new philosophy. So yeah. like, you guys Friedberg just started doing just that. Talked about his spec. You know, um, I Friedberg still has a spec. Call. Yeah, he did. He just uh, found a target for it. Yeah, Jamal um, uh, talked about um, the uh, healthcare company. The healthcare company, yeah. which is, I mean, we wanted to talk about that because Jamal and I both agree. Like, maybe we're, I mean, maybe. <laughs> Like we're definitely overprescribing these drugs yeah, to kids, yeah. like for ADHD and attention drugs, and adults are taking too many. I, I think that that's not disputable. Uh, I think all totally. the science is showing that. Um, so you know, to make software that could help kids with ADHD is like noble. Um, yep. But I think people want to hear us explain our bets. So you know, explaining our bets, I think, is kind of a cool aspect of the show. Talking your book is lame, but explaining your bets is cool. So anyway, um, in the event, did a couple million dollars, had a small profit. Um, but it was the number one tech event of the year by right. far. Right. So, you know, I'm kind of bummed that, you know, Freeberg's a little bit of a blocker for it, but I might turn him around and we'll have a vote maybe in the I'm fall. I'm doing another one? Oh. Well, I'm going to do another one. The question is, am I doing it under the all-in brand or do I have to create a new brand for it? Mm. Yeah. And so I told the guys, listen, I'm going to do it again. Well, Code Conference is done. So like there's a vacuum. Code Conference is done. Yeah. They need a new host. Um, that's crazy that oh, that can God. be done. Like, it's such a value. No, no, he's, I talked to Bankoff about it, uh, and he's been very public. He, you know, I, Kara Swisher, I think, is going to do the pivot stuff and wants to do other stuff. And, yep. you know, she's, I, I really respect what Kara has done, you know, um, in terms of like, she does stuff and then she moves on to the next thing and tries. Like, you know, it's kind of my approach as well, which is like, Bob Dylan, you know, said like, don't look back kind of thing. And he always tried to make the next album and forget about yeah. the past one. And, much to the chagrin of people who loved him as a folk artist and didn't like, you know, like a Rolling Stone. And when he went electric, they booed him. You know, I was like, really? You're booing Bob Dylan because he's using an electric guitar? Are you guys dumb? Like, did you yeah. hear all along the Watchtower? Like, this, this is incredible. Um, and so I think, you know, Kara Swisher, like, moving on. But Jim said he's going to keep doing it. And, you know, it's probably a small list of people who could actually host that credibly. You know, a which very small list. Um, and so, which you're definitely on. I am? You think? How could you not be on? Work, I mean, sure. I'm, not, I'm not even saying that to like make you feel like. No, I'm joking. Yeah, of I'm course, you're Okay, okay. You're but, you're joking and, about being humble. But, but if it had, <laughs> if, 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 if it anyway. had that kind of prestige, it seems like Friedberg would want to do it. It seemed more like the I, thing he was averse to is the like. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, whatever the issue is, like we've had our issues. Um, we all have issues. Um, but um, I think the, there's basically two possibilities for All In Summit. Um, I'm going to present it to the boys uh, and say like, here's the plan. Yes or no, and we agree. We'll put it to a vote. So we put it to a vote. If three of us want to do it, we'll do it. And if two of us want to do it, then we can't. Uh, and if I already Freeberg already said, if you do it on your own with a different name, I'll come and support you, and I'll show mm -hmm. up to do a talk or do an interview or whatever. And I was like, great. So I'll do it with a different name if they don't want to do it, um, and the fans can decide if they want to come or not. And partially in. 
partial <laughs> end. Exactly. So, you know, it's up to the boys um, if they want to do it. But it was like a pretty great success. Call, call, you already have call-in. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I, started doing, um, I started doing a call-in show called After All In for the last two episodes where I took calls about the last episode of All In. Uh, Just to support David because yeah. I don't think people remember how great that app is and yeah. it's really made great progress so i want to be supportive of him and i have a small investment in it and do you um very meaningful but on the one hand this is ridiculous on the other hand it might be ridiculously low do it's you worth think... 50 million to answer your question 50 to 100 million i mean as a top, was... as a top 40 podcast it's worth at least 50 million on its own though but i mean like economic value that the four of you oh who knows over I the mean, lifetime if like if chamath or sax or i or friedberg were to get but one more deal out of it and it's an uber right. the economic right. value is nine figures right possibly 10 you right. know like so yeah that's the thing like i think like man weblogs like you were doing 200k of revenue you sold it for 30 million pretty great takeaway yeah. and now look at this like you know yeah i mean listen i hope it keeps going i hope we can keep it on track and um you know i i love doing pods this week in startups is a juggernaut as well you know it's yeah that sold out for 10 years and all in is what is that like a quarter million listeners or something yeah some in that range yeah i mean it's hundreds of thousands per episode and yeah it's it's very niche podcast you know it's yeah. not, i'm not trying to make it all in um i'm trying to make it for founders and yeah. so you know if in order to make it bigger, it'd have to be worse for founders. Right. And that's what we talk about. I want like founders, what we think about with our well, I want like, yeah, founders and yeah. capital allocators to listen to it. This is a great time to tell you about one of our very favorite companies, Crusoe. So Crusoe, as listeners know by now, is a clean compute cloud provider specifically built for AI workloads. NVIDIA is one of their major partners, and literally Crusoe's data centers are nothing but racks and racks of A100s and H100s. And because Crusoe's cloud is purpose-built for AI and run on wasted, stranded, or clean energy, they can provide significantly better performance per dollar than traditional cloud providers. Yes, we talked about that on our ACQ2 episode with Crusoe CEO Chase Lockmiller. The other element that makes Crusoe special is the environmental angle. Crusoe, of course, locates their data centers at stranded energy sites. So think oil flares, wind farms that can't use all the energy they generate, etc., and uses that power that would otherwise be wasted to run your AI workloads instead. Yep. Obviously, it's a huge benefit for the environment and for customers on costs since Crusoe doesn't rely on the energy grid. Energy is the second largest cost of running AI after, of course, the price you pay NVIDIA for the chips. And these lower energy costs get passed on to customers. It's super cool that they can put their data centers out there in these remote locations where, quote-unquote, energy happens, as opposed to the other hyperscalers, such as AWS and Google and Azure, who need to build their data centers close to major traffic hubs where the internet happens because they are doing everything in their clouds. Yep. If you, your company, or your portfolio companies would like to use the lower cost and more performant infrastructure for your AI workloads, go to crusocloud.com slash acquired. That's C-R-U-S-O-E cloud.com slash acquired, or click the link in the show notes. And I'm not trying to move up the rankings. I don't mind, you know, hanging with, you know, all in being number one in tech and then hanging out with you guys at, you know, slumming it at six to 15 right. with you guys in the rankings. It's like, that's where we belong. Hey, look, I got number look, one on four lock, to six, so. but who's counting? Whatever, you know, like that's where we belong with these things, right? Like it's like, it's a niche podcast by yeah. definition, right? Like yeah. it's not supposed to appeal to everybody. And you try, if you want to appeal to everybody, like read the Bible, like that's, right. if you go to the, <laughs> this is the beauty like, of the this internet, guy who right? reads Bible passages Messages and that's he and huge. It's like oh. if you, you can literally true crime, true crime, religion. Read the Bible, 
or Ben Shapiro dunking on libs. The end. <laughs> that's like, that's how you Rogan, get the, or, do a, or do a daily, but Joe Rogan's out, right? He's on Spotify. So, right, right. You know, he's not in the other rankings. So, I mean, or, I want, or do uh, a daily news program for 20 minutes. Like, But I, that's not what I want to do. I want to talk for an hour or three about deep topics in founders and capital. You know what would be a fun acquired episode is uh, Howard Stern. I feel like it's underappreciated how much Howard I, okay, Stern. I copied my. That should, that's the playbook. That should right be there the next me. Taylor Swift yeah. type episode that we do. Yeah, no, for sure. He wrote the playbook. I for all literally of us. took notes for it. King of all media. Do you know him? I have never met him. Would love to at some point. I have a lot of respect for him. I mean, obviously, he did crazy stuff when he was young and that shock jock stuff. But he, in his later years, became a great interview. Great he, interviewer. Great interviewer. He really refined his technique. I really appreciate that about him. And he created characters. Sound familiar? Yep. Uh, he branded them. Yep. He showcased them. The whack pack, you know, all this stuff. Did he ever uh, do an event? He used to do so. live events. He did the U.S. Open Sores. Where, and then he would do <laughs> Howard Stern's, like, New Year's Eve celebration. So, yes, he did uh, uh, the equivalent of those in New York. But it was a very New York thing. So he, yeah. like... He played tennis against Baba Booey. And, but, I mean, he got 10,000 people to show up and buy tickets right. to a tennis match that they pumped up, you know, like for whatever number of months. I remember this from my childhood. And then he did his books, uh, which were phenomenal. And he did a movie. He did a movie. Parts. He did TV shows. So he's yeah. done a lot of stuff. And uh, I, I'm just starting uh, the process of doing a reality show right now. So oh. I'm literally going to do Are like, you really? Yeah. I mean, I had just you one. or the besties? Or? No, just me. Um, the besties don't want to do it. They don't have time for it. I mean, I, there was there was talk of like maybe all in, you know, kind of going onto one of those services. Like people had reached out like, hey, would this work? You know, it's a lot um, more work, though. Way more. Well, you know, we would have to show up in a location. We'd have to do it weekly. You know, there'd be some format, some shiny floor, whatever. It's, it's a it's a different beast. I don't think they have the time for it if i'm being honest uh, but for me i would like to do a reality show in the gordon ramsay kind of vein mm. um you know where i'm helping founders i think it'd be great for reach mm. uh so i'm i had done a reality tv show with nbc uh and the weinstein corporation yet? um oh wow uh yeah and it didn't make it on air but i have the you uh, should be a shark tank judge I had been, they had reached out before. Mark Burnett had reached out early on when it was Dragon's Den. Um, right. Before when they were going to bring it here. So when it was Dragon's Den, they, they had reached out early. But I wasn't very successful back then. Um, I wish, but you know, I think now I think I would have the credibility yeah. and the advice to give that I could do a Gordon Ramsay style show that would be very entertaining and educational and be completely different than, you know, the fundraising aspect and the pitch aspect of Shark Tank. So I'm not going to do that. But I, I'm, you know, I've got, you know, the, I won't say which one, but a very major, the major, you know, uh, reality TV folks reached out, I think, in part because Could you all that was have, doing so well. Would founders and companies feel comfortable? Like, I feel like a, a really amazing window and insight would be the type of conversations that you have with a founder as they're building the company. Yeah, so they, would they, founders they, and companies they, be open to that? Yeah, thing? so the NBC show I had done the pilot for, uh, which never made it on air, um, uh, what was really good was really about you know me incubating companies, mm. and uh, they spent like four or five hundred thousand dollars doing the pilot. It was really good, and it would have been a big hit. Did did it get canceled because of the Harvey yeah, Weinstein stuff? Weinstein stuff yeah. Wow! So they yeah. were just like anything that was in his and company. And all just... the IP is dead because he's uh, 
monster. And yeah. so yeah. anything associated with it. But you got to remember, he did Project Runway. So he right. had done some of these giant right. shows. People don't know that about that. And so, That's right. I forgot. Um, uh, yeah, that had the TWC at the beginning. Exactly. And, yeah, so, yeah. you know, I had this NBC, you know, I, I, NBC bought the show in the room, loved it, and did the pilot. Wow. And it came close. And Chamath was on that episode, actually. He did the pilot with me. Oh, my no. God. He was, wow. my, like, he was like my VC friend who came in. and it was <laughs> My it's, VC it's friend. It's, no, it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to do it. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, you know, no skin off my back. Uh, but I like the media space. And then, you know, I, this is the thing. I'm choosing to do media because I get joy out of it. I'm 51 now. I'll be gone soon. Like, I want to enjoy... <laughs> I'll be gone soon. Well, you know, it's, you never know. And, uh, yeah. you know, I've had well, two... Well, you've had friends, yeah. I have so. two friends who died young, and I'm just yeah. like, I, you know, talked to my wife. I was like, I don't know. Like, what if I make it another year or make it 25 years, but I want to make it count. I'm not going for max dollars. Like, and so when the guys break my chops about that, I'm like, guys, it's not my priority. Like, literally, maximizing money is like. Well, also, of, like you're probably at a point like, now where not, like literally not in the top ten. What, what is more money going to do? Unlikely. Like, you know, literally, you get a plane. Like, 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 yeah. you, you guys don't understand play. my life. Like, yeah. it is ridiculous and charmed. Like, I can do whatever I want. I have enough money to do whatever I want. My kids are fine. I can have whatever I want. I don't care about like a third home like it's i have a ski house i have a, my regular house it's good i'm i'm good my kids have their do you college actually paid feel for that I'm way? good like 100 percent. So... i literally do not care about do, more money. do you feel like that's a demon that you fight is like no any allure toward no i had that. it when i was younger i wanted to be powerful i wanted to be important i wanted to have money i wanted to be seen i wanted people to recognize my yeah. greatness like any person recognize me for what i do i got all that it literally does not even come up my radar. To have more money is the last what, thing I'm thinking about. What I do your... want to have, I do want to, you know, be the greatest investor of all time. Yeah. Like, to me, that's meaningful. Or be one of the, I want to be, like, I know I'm Mount Rushmore for angels. Yeah. I want to be Mount Rushmore for all investors. So when you guys do your thing in 10, 20 years, <laughs> and it's like, okay, you know, here's Doug Leone and Moritz and, you know, uh, here's, you know, Girly. John Doerr, here's Gurley. Like, it would if we are making a Mount Rushmore... You want to be on that with them. I would like to make it there or at least be in the conversations. All right, listeners. We kicked Jason out of the room again. <laughs> <laughs> because we have our next sponsor of the episode, our very good longtime friends over at Tiny. The they Berkshire Hathaway of the internet, if in, you'll recall. Indeed, indeed. So they're so much so the Berkshire Hathaway of the internet that, as we told you about a few seasons ago... They literally built a business on the internet selling busts of Warren and Charlie that you can order. BerkshireNerds.store. BerkshireNerds.store. That's not what we're here to talk to you about today, no. though. They've got something new to share with us this season that we've been talking a little bit about, uh, kind of from the founder angle, but we want to share with you from the VC angle. Yeah. So the core business of Tiny is acquiring wonderful internet businesses. These are businesses doing $5 million or more in revenue at 30 to 40% operating margins. Well, and the DNA really comes from Andrew and his partners originally running MetaLab. And of course, it was a very successful, it is a very successful design agency that started spitting off cash. What do you do with the extra cash? Well, they know how to run a great internet business with MetaLab. And so they started buying more and more and more businesses. And yep. so now with this awesome portfolio, like Dribble, Pixel Union, Creative Market, 8020, Girl Boss, these are all tiny companies. And so what are they doing differently now? It's funny. It's different in a sense, but it really is the same tiny playbook that they've always been running to buy wonderful internet businesses. But something changed in the last 
five years. We were in this crazy go-go era where lots of businesses, even ones that really aren't the shape of what venture capital should be funding, well, most venture capitalists were funding those businesses too. And so you end up in this situation where you've got a lot of companies that have raised a lot of money that probably aren't tripling, quadrupling year over year the way you would sort of expect a venture business to be doing to raise their next round of capital, especially in this environment. And so if the business is growing, you know, 20, 30, 40%, uh, and it can get profitable or it is profitable, well, most that doesn't of the time, really make sense in the context of a venture portfolio. Right. But, but the founders probably want to keep running that business. They probably want to keep serving those customers, doing their life's work. Exactly. And you end up with a lot of these companies in a portfolio that are like capable of being tiny like businesses, but are not going to provide a big exit that's going to move the needle for the venture portfolio. Well, Tiny realized they can provide the perfect solution to this problem for the VCs on the boards of these companies, for the founders running these companies, and most importantly for Tiny to then come in, partner with these founders and own these companies in perpetuity without looking for an exit. So really what Tiny can kind of do is come in, buy the company from the VCs or a lot of the company from yeah. the VCs. The VCs get, get their money back. Some or all the money back. And most importantly, get their time back, yep. get off the board. Yep. So they have capacity to do new deals. So it's great for founders to keep doing their life's work. They can figure out a structure with Tiny. Where Tiny is very can... good at figuring out structures that make sense yes, they're to align interests here. Yes. It's really super cool. Like I Honestly, like I've talked with a bunch of folks of varying different financial groups and institutions over the years who have had some version of this idea and it's never gotten off the ground. And I'm so glad that Tiny is now doing it and they are the perfect ones to do it. And this is the perfect time to do it. So very excited for this to exist. Yes. Well, if you are running a business like that or you are invested in a business like that or your friend is invested in a business like that, you really should... Uh, shoot a note to hi at tiny.com and uh, just tell them that Ben and David sent you. Don't tell them Jason sent you. He's not here right now. <laughs> you can say Jason sent them too. All right. Our thanks to Tiny. When yeah. you guys are having the conversation in 20 years and I'm gone or I'm retired and you're saying Mount Rushmore. It's hard to imagine you retiring. Yeah, I think it's possible. Um, I met Don Valentine when they were like, you know, he was not active investing, but when I pitched Mahalo, he was in the room. He came up. I yeah. talked to him. Was he pretty, was oh, he was still hanging out still there hanging all the out. time. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Like why retire? Um, he was just awesome. Oh, um, but you know, if you had that yeah. conversation right now yeah. about Mount Rushmore, like you gotta you, okay. So who's who's on your Mount Rushmore? Well, I mean, you gotta have Don Valentine. Yeah, right. right? That's just not and, possible. But and how you, are you scoping it? Because you probably need Paul Graham too. Well, yeah, I mean, you got Paul Graham is in the running for sure, but that's like a number of startups, but there's a lot of big ones in there. Yeah, big impact. So Paul Graham's definitely in the running, but okay, so do you John go Dorr. with John Doerr's in there along with, so if you're doing firms, it's a lot easier because you get right. Kosla, Doerr, and um, Perkins, Tom Perkins. You get the three of them at once. Yeah, you do Sequoia. Yeah. You know, Which you got, for people forget, Vanir yeah, I mean, like, spent a decade at Klein and Perkins with exactly, John Doerr. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, and you and you had yeah. So I mean, you, you look at that firm. It's like that's like the OKC with like James Harden, yeah, you know, whatever. Right. But then you have Doug, Leone, uh, Mike Moritz, right. and Jim Valentine. Ruloff. Well, Ruloff's I mean, next generation. Yeah, but, but you had all of them there together, active you know, all the same time. For those 30 years, and it's like, well, that's Mount Rushmore, right? So if right. it's a Mount Rushmore of Mount Rushmore's, <laughs> is kind of how you might look yeah. at it. You know, you definitely have to have 
We just did benchmark. You got to have the the Fab Four era of the Fab Four era of benchmark was truly something special. Yeah, the 2011. It's kind of like it kind of builds itself the Mount Rushmore right now, right? It's it's going to be Sequoia Kleiner, benchmark, and then we're like. We're going to have a big debate on the fourth arm, right? Yeah. Like, is it... Well, it just depends how wide we're willing to scope it. Is it like traditional Series A type venture firms? Or I mean, is, is it, it Angelus, Naval? Right. You know, yeah. That's had a huge impact. Do you put is YC it... in there? Do you put... YC or yeah. Techstars? Both have a huge impact. Do you put, um, you know, uh, who else could be in there? That's just... You could argue for Founders Fund. You I mean, can't say YC and Techstars. Not yet. That's but Founders Fund completely different thing. on the way. Like, YC is like... Yeah, for sure. I mean, t- I, I, three orders of magnitude. More for sure, they've done the same number of companies, I think, but just in terms of returns, yes. Yeah. But TechStars, I think, was a little before Y Combinator. But anyway, you, you definitely have Y Combinators, you know, in the running for that fourth spot, I guess. And then who else would you put in there? Massa. Oh, or wow. Yuri That's high beta. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but yeah, in, in that maybe impact on the industry, fund, impact maybe on the industry. I mean, no, Excel. Fund, yeah. I don't know. Would, depending on Excel, would be in the running it's, for sure. It's Ron Conway. I think know. the way you yeah. kind of have to define it, which is unfortunate because it means that it's going to be a long ass time before your firm hits Mount Rushmore, is three successful generational transitions where each of the generations would have been on Mount Rushmore. All right. So then let's just do this instead of Mount Rushmore. Because you're, we're talking firms. Yeah. So for firms, you do Mount Rushmore, right? So I think if you were just going to say the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. the Hall of Fame. Yeah. yeah. And the Hall of Fame has, let's just say. Oh, dude, we should open the Venture Capital Hall of Fame. That the Venture Capital Hall of Fame. So, the Investor so Hall of Fame. Capital Allocator Hall of Fame. Top 20. I was trying to figure out when we were doing the benchmark episode research, which will be out by the time this comes out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 2480 Sand Hill Road is a very special building. It was the forethought PowerPoint. The Quadris Complex. Quadris Complex. Yeah. Office. Then it was Microsoft Silicon Valley. Why are the only three people shit about this? Oh, no. Three of us are this so is excited the right now. This is the internet. Like, it's like, wow. wow. We There's have so aggregated many all the other people. Who Everybody else who cares about this is listening right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and, and like Sebastian, who wrote the parallels. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are taking this way too seriously. It's not that important. But then right? we're like alone yelling uh, in David's TVI, house about a fictional Hall of Fame. TVI, Merrill Picker. TVI. That's a good August Capital. Benchmark Capital. Shasta Capital, all in this same building, and I think there's some space for rent in there. I don't want to go live down there, but like I no. think we got to take out a lease just to yeah, put I mean, the museum, a, a the Hall of Fame. Venture Capital Hall of Fame is something we should, should go collaborate right on. We should yeah. just do that it. That would be pretty yeah. fun. Fuck it. We'll just do it like yeah, we'll, yeah. yeah we, we'll we, just we'll do it like every year. We induct somebody. We'll get up there, the three yeah. of us, and be like, yeah, 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 yeah. This year oh. we're inducting into this the Venture totally Capital. Be a Hall we should totally do this. Kidding? Ohio exists. Hilarious. You know, Cooperstown. Well, I mean, no, no, there is a um, what do you call it? There it'd be our Cooperstown. Yeah, there is the computer history, history museum, but yeah. it's that's not for a, the PC, which is totally valid. Right, but right, right. It's yeah, not yeah. for capital allocators. It's not for people. Like, so yeah, no. there should be a hall of fame. And do we yes. like do we Midas list style ask people for the real hard truth? No, numbers? no, no. It's about impact. You have no. To we think, decide the three yeah. of us. We yeah. decide. It has to be impact <laughs> on the game. Does the NBCA yeah. have like a lifetime achievement award? Is that Whatever. the closest thing? It doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah, no. It's it's about impact legacy like the intent of the person like right. this is why like paul graham would be like you know uh first ballot this is why yeah you know, okay who, who, are, the, who are the first, first ballot entrance I mean, so obvious we've I mean, already talked about it we've yeah, already okay, talked okay, about okay. those are all first ballot and do we have anybody who we haven't talked about or who's not obvious but would be a first ballot well, you, you can't, I, this is what i'd say if you're under 20 years you're not like just like let's wait till you're 25 years in yeah like, just like doing, the sports hall of fames you gotta have a yeah you gotta yeah. be you're not playing in the league anymore so yeah. paul graham's still playing in the league does right? jeff bezos count 
Like, wow, I mean, how many I, investments has he made? That Google investment is crazy. So there, there's that, but there's also like, I think Amazon is the best venture firm of all time. It just in terms of like, explain. it's internal. Like, oh, they're not yeah, separate yeah. No, companies. No, no, no. But, but like, So yes, capital allocating, lowercase c, lowercase a. Uh, yeah. They've been great at placing bets. Yeah. But you're right, well, Jeff Bezos to... is probably the most successful angel of all time. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you just did it on And LP. Yeah, and LP. Put on, you know, when you're, when you're looking at it, I think you gotta look at impact. Like yeah, impact on I the like game, that. legacy. Yeah, like yeah, so, is yeah. Carmelo Anthony Hall of Fame? Of course he is, but he didn't win a ring. But right. he, you know, he just he's Carmelo Anthony, right? Like or Charles Barkley he didn't win a ring. But okay, so yeah. then we got like Arthur Rock. Like yeah. you got to look at like the founding father type. Of course, of course, yeah. That's no doubt. I mean, that's like going back to Bob Cousy or whatever. They're going back to like some really like yeah. you know people who built the league kind of situation before yep. it became the league, right? Yep. So you got yep. the league and you got the people before the league. You got people yeah. in the league. Yeah. You, got, you got generational shit right here. You know Patrick Ewing. Yep. You know, so I think like. You look at Gurley, like he's part of that Patrick Ewing generation, right? Yeah, like that Hakeem yeah. Olajuwon, Charles <laughs> yeah, Barkley generation. Yeah, yeah. You start talking about Founders Fund or YC or AngelList, like, okay, now you're talking about more modern era. Yeah. Still going, modern era, yeah. after 2000. But if you started before 2000, it's a different group. Do you notice we haven't talked about Andreessen and Horowitz in this conversation? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, wow. Who cares? No, impact on the game, they're in. They're in. Both mean, of them are in, for sure. Uh, no doubt. No, First they, ballot. They totally are. I guess. Impact on the game? They totally changed the I game. I mean, I just feel like it's gratuitous. It's just like <laughs> raising $10 billion, three funds a year. I want to see what happens with the crypto stuff. I think they're just an index adventure. I find it quite soulless, if I'm being honest. Like, I feel like it's a giant index on venture, and I don't think that their hearts are super into it. Well, I do think they have interesting ambitions, though. I think this, like... That's the problem. The it's JP more ambition, Morgan, yeah. It's more ambition than soulful. But yes. there should be a J.P. Morgan or a Goldman Sachs of Silicon Valley. Ugh, and should there be? For sure. I don't know. Yeah. Why, don't is, know. why does Goldman Sachs manage the money of entrepreneurs? I just feel it's too... Okay, fine. But I just feel like it's... It's too, it's it's like too premeditated and less mm. soulful. I, I feel like it's a soulful business where like yeah. your intentionality and your relationship with the founders really it's matter. It's not the craft. It's, yeah. I mean, it's like the literal antithesis of it. It's the industrialization. It's the, yes, it's the industrialization of it. It's the, it's the factorization of it. And, and listen, I'm sure it'll be very successful. At the end of the day, all the returns will be great except for the crypto stuff. Well, be I mean, there'll be mean reversion because <laughs> like when you get the law of large numbers, you have mean reversion. Exactly. It will be mean reversion for sure. I mean, that was, at some point they leaked a lot of their returns and they were like, eh, eh not fair. That was the 2015 Well, thing they did actually, it was early. So yeah, that was yeah. stupid that the journalists didn't understand it, but there were some yeah. older ones, but yeah. Yeah. it was like during that time, like you start comparing it to Sequoia or Benchmark. I think I don't think it's going to, I think in the arc, it will not be comparable to Benchmark and Sequoia. And we, I mean, made a lot of hay of the fact that they had, uh, that they made $11 billion in profit on Coinbase. And like, right, which is, I do uh, not think they sold out of that. No, they So didn't. they did yeah. not make $11 billion yeah, in profit enough. as of fair today. Enough. Well, I mean, it's timing is everything. We'll see. I mean, crypto. it's interesting too. I mean, having just done this benchmark episode, like the benchmark fund seven, one of if not the best institutional size fund of all time, just like unreal. Twenty but to twenty five. Even that, like the the fluctuation million. in the marks on that fund, and it'll probably probably end up between fifteen and twenty five x, maybe. But like, but it fluctuates up up and down so yeah, much. Of course, like, I mean, it's we live in a very vol- volatile time right yeah. now. Yeah. So. Yeah, I like the Hall of Fame idea. It's kind of interesting. I think we, that actually would be a fun thing. To we should get together. some space on Sand Hill and put up. A, no, it's just we could just do it as like a dinner. We just literally uh, have we don't every need a year. Space. We yeah. get a yeah. we get our we could just start in a restaurant, but you could get like a little hall. Yeah. And say we're going to induct into the Venture Capital Hall of Fame the following people, and okay. uh, here they are. And we just have three pictures. 
boom, 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 and you just drop it, and it's like, these are three people, and then people come up and say something about the person. And I think, like, you, you, we, we could do, like, the three who we would hope would be there, oh, and then we'll have, we like, We do it like the sports, where you have the person who's being inducted chooses who inducts them. Sure. Which, oh, that's fun. Uh, in yeah, the, so in the Ruloff building, does yeah. Doug, yeah. or whoever does Moritz. Yeah, yeah. But Sean they, but, Parker does Moritz. <laughs> <laughs> Mike chooses who you know. Yeah, no, he can have Larry and Sergey come up. He has Jason Calacanis yeah. come no, up no, and be like, Larry and Sergey, yeah, come up, yeah, obviously, totally. Yeah, totally. Uh, John Dor would uh, ask Bezos. Bezos. I mean, yep. it's killer. It's a yeah. killer idea. I mean, we just do Bezos, yep. Doug and Mike, yep, and then who and Doug? We could do, right. do, do one Bill? in memoriam. It, yes, we would do one in memoriam. Yes, exactly. So you, yeah, do, yeah. you know, whatever. Yes, because yeah. yeah. it would be anticlimactic if the only person because we will induct Don first. And if the only person that we inducted that year wasn't a living person who could attend, yeah, like yeah that you do a yeah. combo. You do a combo. Yeah. Maybe it's yeah. four people a year. You know, yeah. you have to think. How do you you want to get to twenty five? So maybe it's you want to get to twenty five to fifty over 10, 20 years. So yeah, yeah. maybe it's three a year. In order yeah. for this to like feel good, I think you're right that it has to be about impact, not about returns. No, returns is like so. That would be like saying it's like albums sold for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right. Mm. There are people. That'd be a very Andreessen Horowitz way to do it, is what that you're saying. Andreessen would be like, oh, what's the total assets under management? You know, and it's like, right. okay, dude, we get it. Yeah, you, Nickelback you, sold a lot of albums. Yeah, they're the Nickelback of that. Like, no, I didn't mean that. You Andreessen said that. You is, said it. I wasn't talking about Mark, Andreessen. Oh, God. Nickelback. Oh, God. Oh, God. Like a million vanilla sold tons of albums. Oh, right. I'm not saying that they're the million vanilla. No, but there is oh, like... Oh, boy. There, there's, you know, if you were to look at Ron Conway, does Ron Conway... Did Ron Conway... Who had a bigger impact? Ron Conway or Andreessen? Like, I think it's a conversation. Hmm. You know, and if you, because Ron Conway, when I came into the industry, like there was at one point, I was at a um, the Crunchies, and Ron Conway, they, at one point, like somebody said, like, hey, is, can everybody stand up who said Ron Conway invest in their company? Oh, and a hundred people 100%. stood up. And my yeah. mind was like, oh, whoa, angel investing's cool. I mean, I wasn't <laughs> an angel investor at the time. Yeah. I was, you know, long before I became a scout, but that I always remember that moment when like a hundred people that, stood like, up. Inspired, partially was this, inspired. It, 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 the scout program is that what it gave you the? Yeah. Is that what like put you in business as an angel? The investor? scout is what put me in business. Yeah. Well, yeah what so happened was I had. Was your Uber investment you personally, or was that no, scout. Sequoia's money? That was scout, Sequoia's money. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were like, Ruloff and I were trying to figure out like, do we let people know we're doing this or not? It was like a big controversy at the time. Right. Like we want to keep this stealthy, but right. I mean Travis knew, but. You know, it was it was a pretty great deal. You know, it was like, um, wow. you know, at the they time they carried 50-50. 50-50 at the time. Yeah. yeah, they dropped it down after that. Doug yeah. was, I bet. Was like every time I see Doug Leone, he's like fifty. And they had thirty percent carry at Sequoia at that point. I think. Yes, Whereas I, you, I mean, if I were you, I'd be like fifty percent carry to them. I can't believe it. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Doug had always this. They're so classy. Doug always made a joke. Would always make a joke. It was like fifty percent carry. Oh God, we get thirty. You get fifty. <laughs> it was just funny. <laughs> Um, we get 30. We get a lot of it. It's pretty funny. Turn that. Um, <laughs> you know, listen, we're, we're very lucky. I, I think if you look at what we do as capital allocators, I think it's a very special part of the, it's a very special function in the world. I take it very seriously, as you do for the retirees you're investing on half of, but also just think about humanity. And I don't mean to make it heady. But these companies do move the human species forward as... Look at Elon. Yeah, exactly. So the human species getting moved forward by... As Steve Jobs would say in those commercials, like this is the crazy ones. They do need fuel. They, you know, maybe don't have an idea of, you know, um, you know, if they should even build this company. And yeah. I think the capital allocators really come in and say, here's some fuel. You know, here, go fight that war. You know, 
It's fuel and it's belief too. I mean, like what you your story about com, yeah, is not uncommon. I think amongst oh my God. founders. I mean, look at I mean the stories uh, about Don Valentine and Atari and other places where he was at Cisco. He's like, listen, we got to get this thing back on yeah. the rails. This yeah. thing's going to zero. Yeah, you know, like there's a lot of existential moments where things go to zero and like. So can I ask you as we yeah. start to like Wind drift down. drift toward the end of the episode here? Yeah. Is that's this your line. That's your favorite line. Drift. drift. That's, that's, that's as, the as Ben we, signature line. Let's here toward the end of the. <laughs> yeah. Drift towards the end of the uh, Is this as a our good time format? together? Like, sh- yes. is this different enough from our normal show? Should we do? Yeah, this? I think what, so. what should we change? Yeah, do you like this? I think a casual glass of wine and just you know, uh, if you have friends of the pod and you want to go deep and talk about them in a more casual way, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great way to just have somebody on again. You know, yeah. mm. so if you profile somebody like I forgot that I had, you had done like the first episode with me, and uh, that was more about my career and more details, yeah. and so I'm starting to tell stories over again. It's like, well, let's talk about some other stuff, right? Yeah, but so I think it's right. like an, I mean, a different context. Our audience was one tenth like the size. I like this format. Well, part yeah. of what we, you know, like Lex has done so great with his show. Yeah, uh, but I mean, but those type of conversations. But I feel like that's more. What's the right word? Our shows are about the business of tech. Yeah, no, his is intellectual it's not dark about that. I don't know yeah. why he's in the tech vertical. But, but I like the format. He's, and like Kevin Rose used to do oh, with the Foundation series. and like I, Yeah, I mean, long-form interviews like Howard. I mean, I think Joe Rogan stole it from Howard. Yeah. And I think it's now Lex stole it from Joe. Or yeah. I, I want to even say stole. I think, you know, inspired by. Yeah. So Lex is clearly inspired by Joe. And Joe, yeah. was, on, Joe was in the running to replace Jackie Martling. On the Howard Stern show, people don't know this. Uh, so really, he was very enamored with Stern, and uh, he wanted to be Stern, I think. And he eventually has he supplanted yeah. Stern yeah. in a way. He, he did become Stern. Yeah, he did become Stern, and so good on him. Yeah, right down to the you know serious Spotify, like right down to it. He became well, yeah, Stern. doing a platform. Yeah, deal, doing a platform, which bet. is what. Stern did. Stern yep. had multiple platform deals. He did syndication first, then he did the Sirius yeah. XM one because it was a new platform and he built the plat. He used his number one show to build their platform, right? Which is, I think, what, uh, yeah. Which is, but actually to bring it all the way full circle back to Charlie Rose, like, yeah, that he was like a, you know, business. I mean, he did more than business, but like he would have. He did culture, business, anybody in New York, because New York, everybody in New York was pretty fucking interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, he could have somebody from Wall Street, a publisher, an author of yeah. somebody who does films, you know. He would have like Spike Lee on it, you know, he'd have Woody Allen on, he would have, you know, any actress on who was doing something interesting, any novelist, Margaret Atwood, anybody was just yeah. coming through New York on a press tour. You know, you, you would do your press tour and then you would. Just go chill with Charlie, and you would get to do something long form. Yeah, you know, like, oh, it cool. was like a little like sort of more jazzy, you know, a yeah, little bit right, more yeah. like acoustic. So I, I like this format for you guys. Do, yeah, sure. do you listen to Smartless at all? Do you know about that show? I I have listened to one or two episodes. It's Bateman, Will Arnett, Arnett, and then somebody else. Yeah, the guy from uh, Will and Grace, Sean. I don't know who uh, that person is, but they bring on a surprise guest each time. And, and they, the other people don't know. Yes. So they're not prepared. Yes. And it's like, it's, like, it's like Katy Perry. It's like Chris Pratt. Yeah, it's become a big deal. I kind of want to do that of tech. But like... Wait, it's, you it's, and I don't know who the... One no, of us no, that's is bringing not your somebody. Racket. You no, guys are not good. You can't make... You got to know the person's background much better. But they all seem to Because carry know, a certain charisma with them that our industry doesn't have. Yeah. But maybe... It doesn't have to be Unless the surprise Jason. as much as yeah, like... Sure. Well, the, the other thing is that... It's, even though they have guests, the show is actually about them. The guest is a prop. 
In a way, yeah, I guess. I've only listened to one or two. You know, I see it in the rankings. Like, it does incredibly well. Like, it's yeah. a top 10 yeah. or top 25 podcast. Is yeah. it part of a network? Is it part of Spotify or something? I don't think I don't so, because I see it on I iTunes very high. I don't think so. Mm. Yeah, it's really weird ads, that, like, but... Spotify doesn't allow Joe Rogan and Call Her Daddy on iTunes because... The advertising would be huge. Right. Right. So why not I mean, like, bake to, the ads in and put them over there's there? There's some MBA that's different. run the numbers that says yeah. it's more valuable if it's driving new subscribers, new subscribers to Spotify. I guess that's it. I guess that's it. Yeah. Oh, I guess you know what? They want to be able to have those new subscribers so when they go renegotiate with the yeah. music. So they're doing audiobooks too now. That's the next piece. Yeah, that is the next piece. Yeah, they're doing audiobooks, yeah. one off purchases. Smart. I mean, audio is great. All right, it's getting really hot in here. It's I getting, feel like we it's getting so hot. Yeah, we got it. For those of you who don't we know, we're in like... A sauna. A new... Yeah, it's David's new house. David just moved. David's yeah. got a new empty house. We, we, there's uh, no air conditioning like we, It's, it's no, sort of like the shining. There's no furniture. We just furnished like this room. We literally, this, is all, from, room this is all from Craigslist. All of it. Literally, in the last like, two days. That explains the smell. That, all right. <laughs> you could have... I mean, listen, you're rich, dude. Just go on and oh buy some God. crane and barrel. We can't all be Jason Calacanis. No, you're, yeah. no come on, man. I know those fees. Oh, oh my God. I, I love revenue. Craigslist. I, I love Craigslist. I love it. You buy used furniture on Craigslist. All the time. I do not buy new furniture. All right, ever. that's got to stop. Come I on. bought a, a temporary no. couch on it's Craigslist. It's the thrill of the, it was of not the no, market. No, no, no. You're going to get robbed. Don't okay. do it. It's too crazy. <laughs> I, Craig Newmark, I love you, but no. All right, with that, with that. our Thanks, thank boys. you to Vanta. Oh, Vanta.com yeah. slash acquired. Oh, hey, Vanta.com slash acquired. Uh, our thank you also you don't know who the other sponsors are because we haven't we didn't record them live you with guess? you because we like we Tell felt me. very strongly that it was you know we wanted to make better use of your time ads. I love uh, reading that are you kidding me Who's do you want to read our Brex ad they don't sponsor my pod so no <laughs> Brex, maybe they have I don't know there's also a lot the of ad living in it about Brex, Brex yeah, Brex, yeah. I, mean, and, I know a lot of people who use Brex I think we use Brex and one of my companies if you're enterprise if you're global by far the best corporate spend management it's much more than a card now yeah for expenses and everything like that right and then they've kind of expanded behind that so you can give cards to each of your employees and then if they screw up, you can turn it off or something. Like, yes, exactly. They go, if they jump Pre-approve some budgets. Yeah. yeah, you don't want people jumping the fence yeah. and going crazy. Yeah. All the listeners know because they, they heard it like an hour ago. They're very familiar with <laughs> Oh, because it's in here, yeah. yeah. So anyway, yeah. thanks. Shout out Brex. <laughs> so that's Brex. <laughs> Shout out Brex. And then... Use the promo code twist. We share, we, we share this uh, last sponsor. These are, these are great folks. These, are, like these, these are like dear friends and, and geniuses and raconteurs. Masterworks? No, 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 no. Good think, guess, think, think smaller but bigger. Literally wow. small. Oh, gosh, you're killing but me. secretly huge. Tiny. Oh, tiny, of tiny. course. Yes, they're buying companies. Yeah. They're buying companies. They're doing a good job. Yes, they're creating like the Berkshire of, of the internet. Of the internet. And can uh, you imagine a better time to get oh, the monkey off yum, your yum. back of venture capital? And yes, sell your company. Let's yeah. Secure the bag. Listen to secure the, the bag. telling That's you. That's my favorite takeout line. Secure, secure the bag. bag. Let's go, man. Trust me, if you haven't secured the bag yet, it's a wonderful experience, man. There's nothing like getting home with the bag. You get that tiny bag. You get that AOL weblogs exit. It. Oh, man. Let me tell you something. I, I'll tell you the story. What did you do when you secured the bag? I'll tell you what happened. I, I got this is a funny story. I'm in my office, and I got Bank of America, and I got like low thousands of dollars in my bank account. I got an American Express card with ten negative 10 on it and a Visa with negative 5 or 10 on it. And I'm sitting there and they're like, oh, wires are good. You know, the BD people are AOL. And so I'm like hitting refresh yeah. on the thing. This is refresh, 2006, refresh, 7? Five, six, yeah. yeah. I'm hitting refresh. I'm hitting refresh. 
and then bing, 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 bing. You know, all oh. the numbers come in to yeah. the, for the whole you know amount. And you own most of Weblogs, eh? Right? Uh, Brian and I were equal partners. Okay. Then we had Peter Rojas had some ownership, right, right. and then Mark Cuban was our big investor. Uh, and by big investor, he put three hundred k in for five percent. So that was a great outcome for him. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, uh, or more. Maybe on ten percent. I think on ten percent. Anyway, long story short, uh, my wife comes in. She said, "You okay?" And I said, "What?" She said, "Are you crying?" <laughs> Oh, and I reached up and oh, I had a tear in my eye. You're like, this is a new experience. And, I've never had this before. And she said, uh, I said, she said, why are you crying? And I said, I'll never, my family will never have to worry about money again. Because oh. I spent my whole life worrying about money. Yeah. You know, my dad had lost the business. Everything. Yeah. It was a very cathartic thing for me. And I think people, you know, who are already rich, uh, you know, or maybe who come from means just, they don't understand the concept yes. of living with the fear of being broke and in yeah. debt all the time. And then when you have the bag, you secure that tiny bag. <laughs> and it's a tiny bag, a tiny bag, but it's filled with diamonds and cash. And you just open it up and say, thank you, tiny. <laughs> thank you, tiny, for securing the bag. Acquire.fm slash tiny. No, it's tiny. Literally, they don't give us a thing. Oh, they don't, don't think. No, that's right. Email, uh, email uh, help you secure the bag. Is it high at tiny? Uh, and tell them about Whatever it, it is. Like, like just know that tiny. Tell them that Ben David and Jason. And Jason. <laughs> you can bag. mention Jason. Yeah, you <laughs> I did buy okay. a one-touch espresso machine. I bought a Jura one-touch espresso machine, Ooh. which at the time was like two grand. And I was like, this is unbelievable. That's the. Then yeah. I tried to buy a Ferrari. Oh. Ah. They wouldn't sell it to me. Re in Beverly wow. Hills. You were the what, riffraff? Like, no new money or something? What's the... Yeah, basically. I went in there and they're like, oh, yeah. What do you, am I, I'd like to buy a Ferrari uh, today, the 430. And they're like, oh, we don't have any available. And I was like, okay, can I put myself on the wait list? Like, we're not taking names from the wait list. So I said to this guy, can I ask, what do you do here? <laughs> He's like, we sell Ferraris. I'm like, to who? This actually, like, no, this is part of their strategy, It's though. part of the strategy. It's part of the strategy yeah. was, was they like, have the Ferraris, but they don't sell the Ferraris to build like, these We're not adding part of your list. Yeah. So I was like, well, how long is the wait list? He's like. And he's like, Don't even bother getting on. He, I was like, okay. I was like, I'm a cash buyer. He's like, everybody's a cash buyer. I'm like, okay. Um, uh, can I ask you a question then? And he's like, sure. Come into my office with like an espresso. You want some Pellegrino? I was like, no, I'm good. And <laughs> you want some Pellegrino? Like, literally offered me Pellegrino espresso. And I was like, uh, I was like, I have the same one touch. Sure. <laughs> and like, this like Italian guy's like, um, I was like, I, I don't mean to be rude, but what do you do here all day? He's like, well, we deliver the cars and we service them and we sell used cars, pre-owned, certified. Uh, for more. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, well, I would take a pre-owned one. He's like, oh, well, the one you're looking at is pre-owned. I was like, no, no, no. The one I'm looking at, the 430, the red one out there, that's the one I want. That's got a sticker in the window. He's like, yeah, yeah. No, we, we certify them. We put the sticker on the window. I was like, oh, well, that goes for $230,000 or whatever. And so uh, yeah, what do you want for it? He's like three hundred, <laughs> and I was like, "You like the sticker says?" I was like, "No, no, no, this is the potential." The used, I said, like, "The used one." I was looking at. He's like, "Yeah, you can't get these cars," and I was like, uh. "So you pay over seventy thousand?" He's like, "But it only has two thousand miles on it," and I was like, two thousand miles, seventy thousand more than new." I said, like, "Why wouldn't I buy a new?" He's like, "Because you can't get them." Mm. And I, I just, I'm such an idiot from Brooklyn who doesn't understand the concept that people would pay over the car and I, i'm just perplexed oh, that would bother me i too. was like all right well let me think about it and i left and and then i was with my friend and i was like um and i had the rob report and it said like number one car was the ferrari f30 and that turned the page it was corvette c6 was the number two car mm. and the starting line was make ferrari buy two for half the price of a ferrari and beat them off the line uh, or something like that and i go. was like 
Let's go to the Cor- let's go to the Chevy store. <laughs> let's go to the Chevy store. I walk in. There's Corvettes everywhere. Yeah. The guy looks at me and he goes, "You want to buy a Corvette?" Yeah. I said, "Yeah." <laughs> he said, "If you buy a Corvette today, I'll give you five thousand dollars off." I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> so we go out on the four hundred five and we're driving the Corvette, and he's like, "This is a Corvette, son. Like you're going seventy miles an hour." I'm not selling. I said, I'm not. He says, I'm not selling this car to you unless you hit that gas much harder. And I said, okay. And I punch it to 100 miles per hour. The guy's like, yeah. How does that feel? I'm like, great. We go back. That guy's good at this job. I come home with the Corvette. I come home with the yellow convertible Corvette. My wife's like, what happened to the Ferrari? I was like, this thing only costs 65 grand. It's like 70, and I got five grand off. And it's American, baby. And it's American. And uh, that was the car that I famously. Uh, was according to Gawker, Robert Scobe and myself and Elon. When Elon got the first P1 of the Roadster, right. he was like, "I got it." I was like, "Oh, let's meet in Brentwood." And we were driving them at a. You were racing. Decent, racing. We were driving them along Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> a spirited and, drive. A spirited drive along Sunset Boulevard, and we did it like five times. And <laughs> five out of five times, the Tesla just destroyed wow. the Corvette. And I was like, "I'm doing something wrong." And you know, then we switched cars, and we and I was like, "Nope, electric just going to beat wow. everything." And so this was cool. the first one. That you know, first yeah. that was it's P1, amazing. the prototype wow. that's in space right now. Is the cherry red one? That's, oh, in space. that's the one that's oh, in space. Really and there's a famous photo of me and Elon in front of the with Corvette. The uh, with the, that, that one's it. But there's a famous photo of the two of us, uh, you know, in front of my Corvette and his P1. Uh, and I remember that night like it was yesterday because wow. we were this is before the iPhone. You realize, like Robert Scobe was recording this on his Nokia, you know, yeah. smartphone. Dude, this, these are the memories, right? Like, crazy. this is the journey yeah. that you've been on. Yeah, it's pretty And this crazy. is the stuff you it's, just will cherish forever. My life is unbelievable. I am so grateful for it. And uh, thanks for having me on the pod, guys. Thanks, Listeners, Jason. thank you so much. Acquire.fm slash Slack. Come join us. We'd love your feedback. This oh, is, Slack's cool. I this is pop a over there new again. shtick. Yeah. Acquire.fm slash store. You can buy cool shirts. Uh, slash track. jobs. Find your next career experience. Craigslist. You can get a, a bunch couch. of new ones. That's right. Acquire.fm slash David buys you some smelly furniture. My God, it is hot in here. All right, we got it. We'll see you next time. Let's go eat some food. Let's have some sushi or Mexican. I don't know what we're going for here. That was awesome. Oh, so fun. Thank you so much. Of course. All right, listeners, we hope you enjoyed that uh, very first Acquired Sessions with Jason Calacanis. It's a new format we're playing with. We would love your thoughts. Acquiredfm at gmail.com or tweet at us at acquiredfm. I am curious what you liked, what you didn't like. And uh, on that note of feedback, we have something that we really, really want you to participate in. No pressure or anything, but uh, it would mean the world to us if you did. We just launched the 2022 Acquired Survey, and we have had the wonderful problem of our audience growing a lot since the last time we did one of these, and uh, we no longer feel like we have a great handle on who all of you are. And so we would be eternally grateful if you would spare the three minutes to participate. Tell us a little bit about yourself. One lucky winner will get second-generation AirPods Pro, which I have been wearing all over the place and are indeed twice as noise-canceling, whatever that means, Apple, and has some, I think, better battery life, too. And David, for you, they have very tiny little uh, ear tips, right? Yes, for my tiny, tiny ears. <laughs> I'm so excited about the extra small tips. They finally fit in my ears. It's awesome. Ten other winners will get acquired t-shirts from our fancy new merch store. Again, three minutes to participate at acquired.fm slash survey, or you can click the link in the show notes. And thank you so much for helping us. It really does help us run the show here at Acquired World HQ. 
All right. Well, with that, our huge thank you to our sponsors for this episode. We've got Vanta, Brex, and our friends over at Tiny. Links for each of those are in the show notes. And uh, with that, listeners, we'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.